You just heard two molds, accelerated phenomena from planetary, planetary, planetary clairvoyance, their upcoming new record. This is the Requiem Metal Podcast's number four Patreon show for, should have been for April. Should have been for April, yeah. And uh, May, and yeah. we'll, we'll see. And now, yeah. We're actually <laughs> doing something kind of nice. It's been a little bit kind of crazy. Um, you know, it seemed like we had all these aspirations when we flew out to Philadelphia to do the Decibel Beer and Metal Festival, uh, meet up with Chris. We we actually did some, some good things. We recorded things. a lot. Yeah, we did do some really great recordings. We did a three-part, uh, pretty complex episode that, that Chris helped us sort of navigate through. We did that addendum for Nocturnus as well. Yeah, yep. And, um, you know, my our intention was to maybe, you know, w- with so much effort sort of being put into that, I, I had originally maybe thought, we could do some kind of um, almost like Collins, like or not Collins, but like kind of check-ins from the actual metal fest where we're yeah. like, hey, we just saw obituary, blah, 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 blah. And the logistics of it, I just, yeah, at a certain point, I just kind of wanted to enjoy. It takes show. kind of the fun out of it too, you know? I, know. I just wanted to just zone out and watch and obituary it, play Cause of Death all the way through. And it's weird because it's like, I've heard some podcasts do this before, um, like the one that I mention a lot, the Laps fan, they do it at like, they sometimes go to indie wrestling shows and then they'll like kind of do commentary as the matches are going. That's doable because there's not loud music playing. So like sure. that's a whole different component. And so in my mind, I think I thought mm, this this could possibly work, but I think the logistics of everything that started to kind of happen didn't happen. Sound quality would have been, gar- like we already had like, you know, the kerfuffle of the two issue, you know, episode 200. Yeah, with the Colin people. Colin's like stuff sounded like shit, some stuff sounded good, some stuff was like echoey it's like, let's just get back to basics and mm-hmm. be simple, I think. And then there's a certain thing that happens to me in the second half of April and May, and it's, it's like I just, I literally fall off the face of the planet into yeah. like the negative zone. Uh, yeah, I saw after the Mirror, uh, beer and metal fest i saw you for slayer and then this yeah is it. <laughs> it's 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 been it's been really tough and and you know mark and i have always prided ourselves. um and, and this is maybe something we'll have to you know rethink down the road as we get kind of into more logistics and stuff like that we haven't tried it before but we pride ourselves on every episode that we've ever done has been face to face yep and that doesn't always happen with some podcasts, which is fine. And the sound quality on those podcasts is great. And I think the discourse seems to work really, really well. We'd have to do Skype video or something. Yeah. It, I think it'd be something where we need to kind of see each other conversationally. Um, I think we've we've done all right when we've had Albert and, and Jeff on and other guests, yeah. you know, just over the phone, even Chris before. But we, we really try and do as many face-to-face as possible. And so... That presents some logistic issues because if there's track meets and all kinds of other things going on, weekends and stuff, it's hard for Mark and I to kind of set our schedules yeah, straight. Yeah. You know, you know, we're, you know, thirty-five minutes, thirty-five minutes away. Yeah, on a good so, day. On That's a good when day. traffic's clear. Yeah, when there's no construction. So, and you know, we saw each other. We went and saw Slayer and Cannibal Corpse. Um, you know, a couple three weeks ago, maybe. Oh, and Lamb of God and. Uh, that's true. God. We did see Amon Amarth. Amon Amarth was my favorite new, not to go completely off track, my favorite new moshing thing yeah, the, is the, the kids getting down to do the rowing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely something. You know, and Lamb of God was fine. Um, the people I, sucked, man. Yeah, it's funny. I got Mosh into, bits on the hill. I got into a conversation with Joe Schaefer, um, who writes for Decibel and, and does some, some different things here and there uh, for various other magazines and such. And he was on our 200th. 200th episode and he's been kind of wanting uh to do a tribulation show which maybe we can do like near the end of the summer once we you know kind of get some things out of the way but 
he was saying he he loves those first two Lamb of Gods, and he and I kind of got into a Twitter conversation. I said, I just don't know what it is about about it that sort of bothers me. He says, you know, the 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 vocalist is really great live. He's got you know good presence, like they got a good sound. He says he doesn't care much about their newer stuff. And I said, you know what I think it is? I think it's the fans. It's kind of like Pantera. Mm-hmm. The fans started to ruin Pantera near the end of like the second half of the nineties a little bit for me. Yeah. I still can appreciate like the 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 music in some ways, but I don't want to go to those shows. And his response back was, oh, yeah, the fans suck. So he get it. He got it. You know, so at first I was like, man, where's Joe Schaefer coming from? Because I really do respect a lot of his opinions and stuff. Yeah. You know, and it made me rethink maybe I'm hearing Lamb of God wrong. And, and I don't think I am. I think there are parts that I, I, I've like some of their old. I know songs. Albert's like a fan of them as well. Yeah. I just I just don't. I have a hard time separating the fans from. And, and I get what why the people are losing their minds. It's like this is their their outlet. You know, I just, I don't need that. It's not us anymore. No, I'm almost, I'm 44 years old. I don't need to like be in a mosh pit unless it's like, you know, obituary with a bunch of other guys that are in my, you know, age bracket or something, but it's just not something I want to do. I want to be able to watch, especially Mm -hmm. being, we were on the lawn. We weren't like in a pavilion. MDT. So you're kind of, it's raining. Yeah. Guys were just like completely covered in mud. Like, Jesus Christ. It's not, you know, I, I had to teach the next day. So, you know, for me on a Sunday evening, you know, having to teach and drive home and stuff, like just getting into the mud and, and grime of it all. It I'm so glad I brought a appeal. poncho. But yeah. as soon as Slayer started, it rained the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was cool to see rain and blood with rain and stuff and chemical warfare. And There's this, like I was at a Kroger, which is our, you know, one of our local... You know, I think it's Midwest grocery chain. I'm sure people have heard of it before. It's like a Ralph's for you California people. Ah, yeah. yeah. But there's, I went through the self-checkout and I was just getting a couple random things. And uh, there's a lady, there's usually like always an attendant there that, you know, if you need to check your ID or bottle slips or something, they're sitting there. And she, uh, she's like, oh, nice t-shirt. And I thought she was talking to somebody else or nice shirt. And she came over to me and was like, hey, I said nice shirt. I was like, oh, thanks. It's like, I was at Slayer. I was, I was VIP. Whoa. I was like, okay, yeah. cool. I, I watched it in the rain with my buddies. So uh, yeah. good on you. She's like, that was great. What shirt God. Were you oh, bitch, we're causing oh, shirt. Okay. A bootleg yeah. that a friend got me in Italy. Nice. <laughs> that yeah. has the wrong logo on the back. Yeah. But uh, the yeah. Sh- you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know. She so- complained about the sweatshirts being $80. Well, yeah, everything. I didn't buy merch there. It was no. just ridiculous. The um, I thought Cannibal did pretty well with what, you know, for a live, a big setting like that. I they think sounded they, good. They sounded pretty and good. They had a pretty streamlined set they had to yeah just kind of get in and get out but i even heard some some positive comments from some kind of non-cannibal fans that were like you know i've never really heard much cannibal courts but they were pretty good live and you know yeah i just kind of was paying attention to some chatter online about it and stuff um and amount of martha is pretty standard i just would probably rather listen to like old in flames records and stuff like that they're just you know? yeah it's just it's real samey yeah i'm glad that kids like it so much and that yeah, they cool have people are excited about stuff they have that row thing which mm-hmm. is like yeah, great that's fun you know, there's a there's a Viking thing that's kind of fun and cheesy. And, yeah, and, and for being an outside show, usually those kind of shows, I usually don't see metal shows there. I usually see like White Snake, White Deep Snake Purple, and Deep Purple, Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper and there bunch, shit like yeah. that, or Maiden or something that kind of works mm-hmm. a little better in that environment. But everybody sounded good. At a I certain point, it started to like get too ridiculous much. too with uh, the the attempts at throwing like the mud pies at the the giant telescreens and stuff like that. It, it was entertaining it's, it's, for a few minutes, but it, man, as long as they weren't like starting a mosh pit right next to me where i had to like worry about some idiot yeah. flailing in my face i was like okay but if you haven't uh if you've kind of been on the fence of whether to see this kind of last slayer show i thought 
this was one of the better Slayer shows I've seen, um, at least in the last decade or so. Because I've seen yeah, Tom was on on point. Tom was great. Uh, there was a good energy, and I think their set list was just spot on. It was good. There was, was not good. much banter. I mean, the fact that you know you heard stuff like skeletons of society thrown in there. Um, you pretty much had you know evil has no boundaries. You, that there was, was great. It's like the second song in. Wasn't yeah, it? I mean, it really there was a, a few newer things that didn't to bother me too much because I don't I don't mind. I think they started with stuff. Repentless and then did went to Evil Has a Evil Has. Yep, yep. So I mean, it was it was fun, you know. So um, I, you know, I don't get out to as many concerts as I'd like to. Mark gets to a few more because of his proximity to some of the more you know the shows in Hamtramck and Detroit area. But uh, you know, it's it's nice when it's it's a it's a band I care about like Slayer and, and yeah. There's sort of a legacy and a. A nostalgia that's kind of built into that if they are done, you know, it's it's nice to. I, don't I bet know, you. One last I time. bet you they'll probably do. They'll be done touring, but they might do festival shows every once in a while. That could be. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? It'd be fun if they could. You know. Do you know? We saw them do seasons in full, but to see yeah. them do kind of some of those those classic albums in full, it still feels weird without Jeff. Yeah, it was different. You know, but uh, um, I'm just happy I got to see him with Jeff a few times. Yeah. Know, yeah. Years, so. But speaking of concerts, one of the things that we were um, figure we kind of chat about in, in this first kind of uh, patron show that we're we're recording today um, is kind of pop culture ramblings and just kind of like catching people up, you know, who are loyal fans and, and um, patrons of the show of kind of some of the things that we've been sort of doing. Um, and the reason we start out with Two Mold is we figure we kind of chat a little bit about the beer fest and some of the things that we enjoyed about that and. Um, bands that stood out to us and and two mold was i believe the first that was like the first band i cared about on saturday yeah i don't i don't remember the with the lineup as far they as who were, played, played when, pretty early on saturday yeah that but them and then i think deceased might have went on right afterwards or something i feel like deceased was a little bit later were they yeah but yeah maybe like there, i think there was one band in between is that when rosetta played yeah, that they bored the pants yeah, off. Yeah, Rosetta's fine. They're, I think they're really like good at what they do, but they're I just, just very like two thousands. Yeah, it's for not, my taste, it's not something that I'm like really drawn to as much. But I won't yeah. take it away if that's like your flavor. Um, sure, I like I'm, the diversity, even if if it's not all my you know my my kind of thing. I did hear that Baroness was kind of boring, and I'm kind I've of glad we. I've seen them a couple times. I've always found them boring. I think I liked them back on the. I think I saw them. The last I, time I really remember digging them was on the Blue Tour because I like that record, the Red and the Blue. I saw them on the Red, yeah, Red and the Blue. I think were the last, yep. and then I saw them once at the. Uh, I think they played that, didn't they? Did they play? No, they didn't. The Dust Bowl. No, the One Hundred Fifty yeah. Show. What's his not so there though? Uh, Baisley. Yeah, or John something. Baisley. I think he was yeah. there, like as, like introducing somebody, maybe. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, I you know, Two Mold stood out to me in particular, and that song, uh, we we should kind of chat about it a little bit because there were some things that are, are kind of in particular stood out to you that are kind of what's well, there's a lot of like uh, amorphous privilege of evil, curly nismus type stuff, lots of carcass, yeah, um, especially the, the you point the stop out start Kenilin stuff, there's a lot of the drumming like stuff. Plus, I love seeing these guys. It's very rare to see a band with a drummer vocalist. Yeah, so it's always fun to see that. I know that happened, but these guys sounded fantastic live too i mean outside of like you know autopsy and old deceased uh i can't think of too many that i've seen live before you know i know there's other bands that have done it but i'm yeah. just trying to think of the live i've only thing. seen deceased twice with king and but he they they were just as good with him on drums sure, sure. he just has just as much presence but yeah. 
Yeah, I can't think of anybody else right off the top of my head. Yeah, last band I saw that did it besides Two Mold was I think Autopsy at, uh, at MDF. MDF. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, the Two Mold was was great. That was a good way to kind of get the day sort of popping a little bit. But um, you know, Mark played me some of these new songs off the Two Mold. I, I think I'd heard one, but I, I hadn't really pursued it much. And it comes out next month. Isn't it's it? awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's yeah, it's July fifteenth okay. or something like that. I just pre-ordered it. It feels very. Um... 1991 to me yeah in a very good way <laughs> no there's absolutely if you're a fan of our podcast you know that the, yeah. the early 90s is definitely not a, a bad place for us to yep. sort of be but they were they were one of the, sort of the first highlights we had gone to the the pre-show uh the night before and that was good um, oh cloak play they were, cloak they were was great. awesome yeah, yeah. Th- they've always been good um the band that played after cloak was 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 pretty good too um wasn't the inner armor yeah they they're way fun. they were totally different than what i thought they were what do you think they were I didn't realize that they had Morbid Angel riffs since they, oh, they're yeah, like yeah. brutal. Yeah, yeah. I thought they're just going to be some like boring, sho- like, you know, shoegaze sh- stuff or something. Not even shoegazy, but uh, just just some type of boring post rock. Post rock hardcore. With a little bit of hardcore yeah. stuff. Like, I just assumed I knew exactly what they were, but they, they surprised me. They were good. Yeah. They sounded good. That new album's decent. Um, yeah. I'm not, I have one of their records from back in the day. I don't pull it out very often, so I probably wouldn't go out and buy this new record, but you know. That one single has, or the one that we that we listened to in the car, so yeah. that sounds like where the slime live. Yeah, it was good. That riff, but. Yep. So the pre-show was fun. We got to run into Albert and, and some of those guys a little bit. Um, it's a lot. Yeah. In a couple, of, I'm like, I'm getting to the point where I don't care. Yeah. I don't need to go to every single part of these. Sure. Things. That was fun because you know we I think we went out to eat with Chris and then went uh, and did the you know basically we were just there for cloak and and we had yeah there's like no like nobody was like with us they were like oh we've got to stay for whoever was playing uh, I don't was Inner Armor the, the last one I think there was one other band we left before uh, yeah because I don't I mean I don't I love death metal and all this shit but I don't want to stay up till two o'clock in the morning yeah we're we're kind of the old <laughs> people now so it was really I funny. don't need to anymore I, I, I don't feel like. Ha- Speaking of the Slayer show, I kind of forgot to tell you this. Uh, Jason Duza, who was on our 200th episode that does Into the Combine, which yeah. is, you know. He sweet. was there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was behind us um, at, not at MD, or at uh, Beer Fest, but at the, the Slayer show in Detroit. And when Lamb of God was like playing and, and some pits kind of started to open up, he leans into me, goes, this is more Into the Combine fans and less <laughs> Requiem Metal podcast fans, I think, because, you know, they skew to, um, you know, a young yeah, audience. Right. Sure. And they, you know, he was in high school when, like, Lamb of God was, like, first coming out. So I think it's like their Pantera and stuff. Yeah, it makes for sense. Sure. Yeah. I, I get that completely and stuff. But it was just really funny. I kind of laugh. I was like, yeah, we're kind of the, we're the old, we're the old people intellectual podcast now at this point or, or something. I mean, we still like our brutal stuff, but, like, oh, yeah. It, it's tempered. But a I, I bit feel more, more like Martin Popoff now than I do, like, some, like, really, like, hip young yeah. loud guy i mean i can stay on top of a few things here and there but i get a lot more excited about bands that like have a, a past you know unless yeah unless they're like doing stuff like uh two mold or or bands where there's really kind of coming out with with some some cool ideas right off the bat you know yeah. or you know blood incantation and, and some sure. of those newer acts that that really seem to they like really understand death metal how I understand death metal. Yeah, it's almost like they came from like our they they yeah. see it through our eyes or through our ears and in that sort of way, you know. But um And I don't begrudge anybody liking new stuff, but it's just it's exhausting to like try to discover. I don't need to do that. I love going back and 
rediscovering old shit I forgot, or even better, like going back and listen to old classic rock and I think, I think Prague that, and shit. Yeah. And, I, I think that's where my heart lies, having done the countdown and, and the different things like that. Is there's just so many gaps that I need to fill in and, and kind of you know. I want to understand the other stuff better. Yeah. Before yeah. I like delve into like what new stuff is happening. And I feel like too with newer stuff that some of that stuff will shake itself loose in a way where like even if I didn't grab it in 2018, if they're still talking about it in like 2019, 2020 and it has like a little bit of staying power and resonance, yeah. then it's probably like more worth my time and effort. So it's, you know. There's a few of those because there's a lot of good stuff that comes out. This sounds good right away, but like. A band like Horrendous is one of those where you can like keep going back and listening it to it. It's like well. it ages very well. Yep. It fits in, you know, the the annals of my record collection very very well. It makes sense why I have their whole discography, but yeah, some new other newer bands I have nothing. Sure, know? yeah, and there have been the, that handful of bands the last few years that I think will stand the test of time. You know, Tribulation, Horrendous, Blood Incantation. Those you know, Two Mold seems to be kind of like finding their their yeah. their groove. They this now will be like three pretty awesome records mm-hmm. you know, that they put out in a row you know so it's tough you quickly just, too you just don't know yeah you don't know who's going to be kind of a one-hit wonder and, and who's kind of a flash in the pan you know i try to read and stay up you know with with decibel and their albums of the month and i i try and you know now that i have spotify i can kind of like check out things i know you've been on the spotify game a little bit longer than i have yeah. but uh it does help in terms of like mm-hmm. sneak previewing things because I don't sit on the computer as much as you do and, and click on YouTube and, and things like that and yeah. have it play in the background as much. Um, so my opportunities are kind of few and far between. So I have to pick my battles a little bit more, you know. Um, but yeah, that first night, you know, once we sort of got into the swing of things, I really think the band that that really started to kind of like blow people's socks off. And I remember Chris's reaction was was pretty... Uh, he was... It, it kind of caught him off guard was Ueda. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, he was writing like like pretty like profound Facebook things like mm-hmm. this is look out guys this is the next and usually when Chris does that he's got a pretty good he's got a pretty good sense sure. of what's happening and I felt pretty rewarded because when we did our first patron show that was the band that I was like yeah. by hyping the most and you know people have listened long enough know that I, I have a pretty good sweet spot for you know the dawns of the world and stuff and and Mark as well like, yeah. loves dissection and all that kind of stuff Naglefar but they they really. Uh, and they just kicked it, you know, it was just like, it was, it was a brutal assault, but yet, you know, it was like pummeling, but in like this sort of the way that like Slaughter Sun from Dawn pummels you with like these long epic songs that have some intricate melodies that are kind of winding beneath like just the blast beats of, of everything yeah. that's kind of happening. But they have that look too, that mystique where they don't, mm-hmm. nobody has, there's no individual person in the band really, which yeah. is, you know, I think is important if, if it works within your like two molds, just a bunch of dudes that look yeah, like they, they work in an office, like, 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 which is totally fine. But a band like Ueda, they, they like transcends them a little bit more or makes them more, uh, I think it makes them bigger than they really are to have that kind of like visual. Well, think about, I think in a way what like imagery sort of did for tribulation, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that tribulation toured so much in America, yeah. I think also helped them, but you know, the, the stage presence of Jonathan and some of the things that he was doing was, was I think, endearing to people and i think it brought people back for multiple times because it, well like, even my wife like she she's not like she 
doesn't hate the band. Yeah. But she, every time they, they come around, she's like, I want, she likes to see him because that guy's nuts. And you, it's you, like a great performer. You, you see girls at tribulation shows more yeah. than you see at like your average kind of oh, sure. metal show, you know? And yeah. The, he's like, you know, death metal, David Bowie or yeah, something, something so. kind of going on there, you know? So and Ueda doesn't do that kind of stuff, but there is the mystique with the cloaks and, and some of that kind of stuff. And even the stage performance, like everybody's got the little, like the midnight hoods on, mm-hmm. but then everything was just black and white too. Like the, the lights, there's no red lights or anything's all black. They're black. Lights are white. Logo too. It's, it's yeah. very simple. It's like almost like kind of like a runic symbol or, or something like that. It, it almost looks like a... they took part of the Watane logo yeah. or something too. That old style, just like you know, scribble it on on a folder kind sure. of thing. And well, and speaking of the band that uh, that kind of used stage presence to, I think like, you know, pave their pave their way a little. Oh bit. yeah. I mean, Watane musically is awesome, but they're not really reinventing, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff dissection and other bands like did oh, absolutely. a decade prior, sure. you know, but they, they're refining it and, but they're combining it with some, this, this in, in amazing stage show. And yeah. I think Ueda did, did a really nice job with that. But theirs is more stark, um, performance art yeah. than like the blatant, like yeah. steel and upside on crosses of, sure. you know, severed heads of Watane. But now what do you think of deceased? Were you, uh. Were you oh, they were good. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's I, I I think I wanted to hear a couple. the new drummer is really good. He's tight. Yeah, um, R.I.P. Um, I forget the, the I forgot I drew him for the guy that passed away. One. Yeah, I feel bad. I don't have notes in front of me. We're just kind of riffing. Um, but yeah, I I kind I think I wanted maybe a few newer songs. Um, it was tough, you know, because they tried got, to throw in like the. The thing is, I I like their old stuff, but I love their new stuff. Yes, yeah. Which is weird to say for a band that's been around for thirty five years. Mm-hmm. But like everything from, well, it's recorded so well too, and some yeah. of the old stuff had some problems in terms of the sound quality. Well, like and, Luck of the Corpse, yeah. even like Fearless Undead Machines is good, but it's not recorded that well because that was probably still mostly that was early digital years. Yeah, it was ninety six, ninety seven. But like the like Ghastly White, the new record, and um, fuck, what was the last couple before that? Those are both great. There's like three before that. There's fantastic. We talked about the one that I, I really feel like kind of started this this run that Deceased is on when we were at um, the Godfather Mansion doing a best of show. It might have been like the best of 2011 or 2012, um, whatever Deceased record came out that year. I can I can kind of picture it. It's just the the name sort of escapes me offhand. So whatever record that was, um, I think that's one of the testaments of a good band is they kind of fall off your radar, then something else pops up again. They're like, holy shit! Yeah, and they, they um, cause you to sort of grab it, grab something. As the weird travel on two thousand five, surreal overdose and ghastly white. Surreal overdose is the one that really pulled me back yeah. in and got. I never go watched back or I never listened to. Um, as the word traveled on until so, this year. Yeah, exactly. I, I went back and that. listened to like all those, all three of those. Mm-hmm. There's like, Jesus, these are fantastic. Yeah. Those, those should have gotten, I think they came out pretty late in the year and didn't maybe get as much attention as, as maybe they should have. But also it came out 2005, 2011, 2018. Yeah. They take their time. Yep. King's got to make his t-shirts and yes, he does, you know, <laughs> respond to letters and send tapes and stuff. I it's, was pretty, I was pretty happy that, King knew exactly who I was uh, from my t-shirt order. Absolutely, he like does. That. Yeah. So he's like, uh, "Medium, right?" And you're uh, Michigan, Jason. I'm like, "Yep, that's me." So I remember, cool. like years, oh, how many? Years, like maybe five years ago, I saw him play with uh, his other band, October Thirty One. Thirty One, yeah. Um, up at Max Bar in Lansing, Michigan, this tiny little place. Mm-hmm. After the show, I went up and just you know wanted to introduce myself because I when I worked at Relapse in the nineties, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, when I worked at Relapse in the nineties, in night, well, in ninety six, he'd come in there all the time and just you know shoot the shit or whatever. Yeah, but I was like, hey, hey, King, how's it going? You know, I just want to say it was a great show. He's like, you're from Relapse, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, in ninety six, I was. Yeah, like, all right, I remember because he has he's been sober for twenty years or something now too. Yeah, so he's just his mind like a trap. His, his uh, he's his, great. His eighties and yeah, his party years are pretty pretty nuts. Some of his Facebook posts and stuff, <laughs> but. Yeah, and then I think the highlight, obviously, uh, after Ueda for me, I mean, I love Deceased. That was pretty good, but I, I don't think I was quite ready for the nostalgia train that, that Obituary, I think, took us on. Um, I don't think anybody was. Cause of Death is... I remember seeing Albert uh, Abdusable afterwards, and he looked like he was almost in tears. Yeah. Well, and that, that album, he and I have talked before about it, and, and that album was like his first kind of death metal record. Yeah, yeah. And I think he did was, a write up in the last yeah uh, yeah so the, from the editor thing and I, you know I don't know if it was it was pretty early I know I had it on cassette and I got it used at New Moon it was probably like yours or Chris's that you guys sold when yeah you got it in like CD or something you know who knows and I used to mow lawns to it a lot in like um, late middle school early high school and so it was like the first death metal record that I like knew really really mm-hmm. well because you know when i mowed lawns the records that's how i kind of fell in love with slayer it's stuff. a good penetrate like you can easily penetrate that record it's it's super warm and it's fuzzy catchy. And catchy it's not super fast no it's just got those like just those riffs you know what I mean? those it's frost riffs bathed in celtic frost catchiness and stuff and yeah it was just it was i mean that if you're patrons of the show you you know cause of death i don't think we're telling you anything yeah. you don't know but it was just it was a cool experience and hopefully some of you who are on uh Facebook and stuff, I, I posted basically a video clip for every single song, at least like a minute or so, just for, for people to kind of like you yeah. know, get a little hint of. But It's good to see these bands that have been around for so long that you never thought, like they wrote this stuff in their teens, mm-hmm. and now in their like mid-40s, there's so much better musicians, and now playing it. It's mm-hmm. just like, man, it's, that was great. Like that hour just like blew by it was yeah it was it was miraculous <laughs> it's like one of those few times where like you can be i was completely immersed yeah when they were playing and i mean and we'll talk in a second about enslaved frost that was a different type of like immersement but for me obituary meant more to me because uh it goes farther back for me in a nostalgic sort of way sure um frost is uh, oh my love it's not it's probably not even my favorite enslaved record mm-hmm. whereas like i think it's I don't know. I don't really know anyone that doesn't think Cause of Death is their favorite obituary record when it comes, like, when push comes to shove on some level, you know? Yeah, yeah. You might not listen to it that much anymore, but, like, it's almost hard to beat that record, yeah. you know? And Complete just sort of refines that sound, but doesn't really do a lot to add to it. True. Um, Same with, like, the new Rod record. just sort of like a... Yeah, the new records, they sound similar, but it's like... <laughs> cause of death is where it was it's, it's where it's at yeah. yeah and so you know whereas enslaved you know just depends on what mood you're in what phase you want to listen to I mean, mm-hmm. frost is so violent that's what's so cool about that record is it's like the most intense thing they ever did really from well, start to finish what was so cool about it is how well you could hear it yeah i've never ever heard black metal like blast like that basically fast. yeah black that fast metal. and you could yeah. hear shit you could hear drum rolls you could hear all the guitars you could hear the vocal stuff like mm-hmm. Um, um, what's his nuts? Um, Grootla come out, came out in his little like cloak and shit, and they had like special stage clothes done up for this. And when this... they did, you you Yggdrasil was something special because that's a song. Uh, I I talk often about my uh, acumen for for mixtapes, especially for girls. And yeah, Yggdrasil was something I could sneak on to to mixtapes, you know, because it was uh, 
I don't know. It wasn't I, a guy I, screaming. I don't know if girls gave a shit about it, but I, I definitely snuck it on from time to time. So that's one that's like near and dear to my heart a little bit um, more than, than some of the other songs, even though it's not like heavy or, or anything like that. But it was something I never really thought I would ever see them do live, obviously, because it yeah. seems not gimmicky, but it just it's just such a absurd song. Sure. You know? um, and their new drummer is fantastic. Like that, that was like the thing for the weekends. Like all these drummers are fucking great. Yeah, the drummer the for just slayed the whole time. The new guy, I guess he was um, for uh, Trypticon, who was on Sunday, mm. was a dude from uh, who's that German tech death band, Obscura. Oh yeah, yep. I was like, that's what Trypticon needed. Yeah, German and Dutch. I think it's a. He added so dudes. many fucking fills to all that shit. It was like, okay, that's this that just put it over the top yeah and tom g had a fucking sense of humor that was, which i've never seen was, before he was happy he, yeah i think he was is this all you think of me as ooh? yeah <laughs> that's the first time i've seen that i've seen him you know trypticon probably four times or something uh-huh. um but that's the first time i've ever heard before they go on people going ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> i was a little bummed that they didn't do they end up doing some frost songs but yeah i kind of thought well with enslaved doing what they're doing obituary and you know they had just done that hellhammer set you know in the the west coast beer and metal fest yeah i was kind of like are they gonna do like kind of something sneaky i think they did that roadburn too did that's where they came from okay yeah okay and you know i wasn't disappointed because at the same time what it made me do in some level is and, and i kind of sometimes forget how awesome trypticon actually is as yeah. trypticon yeah like it, it like i think about frost so much when i think about trypticon that it's like damn like how many how many guys from one of the like i mean you have ozzy in his solo career you know leaving black sabbath and doing something that that has some weight you know you have dio mm-hmm. You know, doing the things that he's done, but but like, can you think within extreme metal anybody that's that's kind of left something that was so important and done something that also in the last like decade has that much weight and presence to it? It's it's tough for not me. really. It, you know, I can't really think anything. I mean, traditional heavy metal people moved around. I feel like a little bit more, but um, you just I don't yeah. Know. I mean, like Dickinson and Maiden. Like yeah, he left Maiden solos, and did some really good stuff. solo stuff. Yep, that was pretty good. But yeah. but that's he's not like the songwriter. The you know he does some, but like Tom G, he's like it's the like guy. His whole vision, yeah, he's yeah. the vision of both those bands in some level. Um, and so it was. It, it's just odd. Well, in between yeah, going from Hellhammer, mm-hmm. which you know a lot of people think started black metal, mm-hmm. Celtic Frost, a lot of people say started death metal, and then a play on Sun, nobody really cares about because yeah. they were like techno-y industrial-ish you know he was trying to figure stuff out and sure whatever that's cool but then trypticon drops and he's like holy shit yeah this is as good as anything else he's ever done maybe maybe king diamond merciful fate that if we were yeah. talking like on the extreme end that's that's maybe it's different because he was kind of doing both at a certain point you know, kind of yeah. bouncing back and forth you know but he's not a, as, as much of a songwriter either as Tom. It's, yeah, that's true. There's not a whole lot of guys that are vocalists, guitar players. Guitar players, yeah. Yeah. But it's it, it's just food for thought. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's kind of something to think about. So I, I really did appreciate the Trypticon set. I, you know, at first I went in with, with like, oh, I'm hoping they do some Frost stuff. And they did at the end, and it was great, mm-hmm. you know. But I think I got my Frost from Obituary. Yeah, just them doing yeah. what they did and Circle of Tyrants. And, you know, it was just like, yeah. Uh, there was like a part of me that thought it'd be kind of fun if like Tom G came out and sang for obituary, <laughs> but then at the same time, like eh, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. 
uh but it was it was it was good i i really enjoyed um everything even exhorter you kind of talked you were less familiar with exhorter i'd never heard one of their songs at all really okay. never um, even back in the day uh, when no. it was we're on roadrunner and stuff if it was on there i skipped over it because i just didn't care gotcha um but i was like these guys these are, they sound good they're fun like i get where they fit in the whole scheme of things and yeah um you can hear where pantera took some obvious yeah. kind of cues from and stuff but they're they're still doing their own they still sound just like themselves. Yeah, and it's brutal thrash. It's not. Yeah. It's not. They're not messing around. You well, know it's like I mean? super anti-Christian, which is yeah. weird for like that type of sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though like Lamb of God, you know, used to, what are they used to be priest. called? Burn the priest yeah. or whatever. But like, it's weird. Like that stuff seems kind of like it doesn't really. It's not like the territory that Pantera really covered lyrically, you know, so you don't associate those sounds. Pantera, yeah, was always like inner turmoil. It wasn't ever about social issues at all, really. Yeah. Um, I think so a little bit later they'd kind of gotten that realm bit more. A little you, bit. You were probably but, out of it by then. Yeah, so. I mean, I was out after Vulgar. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, but Exhorter was fun. Yeah, you know, good for those guys for you know, I mean, getting in the Hall of Fame and finally, I think oh, they're putting a new record out or yeah. something through Nuclear Blast, I think. And well, if it's anything like what's been happening lately, you know, you got we'll, we'll talk about this more on the second patron show, but you got you know Nocturnus. You have these bands that are starting to, you know. They're coming out of the woodwork again and, and putting out not just like novelty like records, but like good stuff. They're better than you thought they could ever be again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at Gorguts. You know, they disappeared after, you know, Obscura and stuff like that in the early 2000s. And then they, they you know, when that record came out, what, 2012, 2013, 2014? Colored Sands? Or? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it was like, whoa, here we go. You yeah. Know? So it's, it's cool to hear bands are kind of still vital and, and doing that. So I hope Exorder, you know, is able to take some of this momentum and do something this is, cool with this it. is i think one of the extreme metal or just metal in general is one of those few genres that you can keep going mm-hmm. forever like even like you know deep purple is not really a metal band no but some of those newer records aren't that bad no they're but they, they've been like knocking them out same like rye heap mm-hmm. white snake all these you know hard rock all these kind of bands kind of unless if you hit a certain pinnacle even white snake hit a pinnacle but now you listen to the new record flesh and blood it's like it's good it's like newer docking it's fine there's a few songs here and there that yeah i kind of dig and stuff like that but like especially with extreme metal it's crazy how good guys in their 50s can still sound yeah like they still they can still like deep in like dig into that well and Mm -hmm. you know or like the new you know dark throne record or stuff it's crazy yeah like record number 18 Mm -hmm. that that (laughs) makes you feel real that's that's pretty wild not including eps yeah but you know so i mean what were your We've now gone two years to to Beer Metal Fest. Mm-hmm. What are what are your kind of impressions of that festival in comparison to like say MDF and, and some of the other stuff? I like that it's about. a little more truncated. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling at like four o'clock, two, three o'clock. Or yeah, whatever. it's done by it's eleven. Yeah. I, I, that's good. I don't need to see bands for eight hours. Yeah, I like the venue where you can get away from stuff and you know you can talk and you go outside. Yeah, yeah. There's seats. Yeah. Um the the beer thing is cool. Added layer, added bonus. Um, I was telling Albert, like, this is kind of it reminds me a little bit of like Roadburn. Mm-hmm. Like, I've not been, but how it's a curated show, it's all kind of stuff's all over the place, but it makes sense once you see it. Yeah. And when I saw the lineup for this, I was like, yeah, I don't really care about a lot of the stuff outside of Enslaved and you know, a handful of bands. But yeah. then it's like everybody I saw that I didn't really know or care about, I was like, that was good. Yeah. Except we didn't stick around for, for, for Baroness. Bar- yeah. But I even if, liked, and I know whatever controversial opinion so i i like deaf hate deaf heaven um more than i i know definitely i really more don't like do. him at all really i hate him okay i don't know why they're so boring to me 
You didn't dig that set? I thought that set was pretty good. It was. I mean, they're fine, but I just don't like, care. Compared to like Rosetta, like I could listen to Def Haven like way more than that for sure. some reason. Yeah. Um, the vocals th- are, or I enjoy those vocals more than yeah. the Rosetta vocals, but there's something about Def Heaven I just don't care at all. And I get like, they're, they kind of like, I don't know, the dude's haircut, I'm, I kind of want to bitch slap him a little bit, but <laughs> I, but I kind of look past all that and I try and like try and go to the substance a bit. And um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I own a couple of their records. Um, well, when Sunbather came out, I had. Um, I like Sunbather quite a bit. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Yeah, but I never. But it was just like, okay, this is interesting. It was never like I want to put this Pull on it again. Out too much. Yeah, yeah. It's like if so. I want to listen to something that sounds shoegazy, I'm going to put on something that's like like ISIS or something old. Well, like I'll, I'll I'll put on my bloody Valentine or you know Swerve Driver or sure. something. Yeah, I, yeah that's I, true. I'd rather go to the source and then listen to good black metal, not just get a kind of a mix of both yeah. it's like interesting but not it doesn't have longevity for me okay i guess i'm probably more drawn i i can get into the the black gaze stuff a little bit more i mean i love like alcest for instance like see the, that stuff bores me too really yeah Alcest's i've even? never got into that okay it's just too it's too ponderous and long for me and i don't mind the ponderous kind of thing yeah um but you can get more into like the lyrical content and the there's got to, I've got to have like two or three entry points to a record. Otherwise I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like really stuck in my ways about some stuff. I the, I think the aesthetic of Elsess though reminds me of like older Catatonia, mm-hmm. I think. And that's where like, that's like hitting a sweet spot. Probably for you. It's like if, if a band reminds you of like a certain era of like Paradise Lost, like you're, you're just yeah. going to be like, okay, you'll, you'll forgive other sins. Sure. But I, but I do really like, um, I, I'd still always be interested in doing an LSAS show sometime, um, even if it's, you know, from like a contrarian kind of point of view and, and kind oh, of sure. get you to revisit things and, and stuff and see if, you know, where your, your feelings still lie with it. But I wouldn't even put Def Heaven as interesting as like LSAS to me as like way more interesting ideas, you know, yeah. they're, they're kind of playing with and stuff. No, I'm glad that, you know, Def Heaven's bringing, you know, different people this type yeah. of music. That's fine. Um, it's just not really my thing. Yeah. I don't think it's made for us necessarily, you know, and I'm okay with that, you know, at a certain point, but, um, yeah, I, I, I dig it. You know, I mean, I, uh, I had walked away from MDF, uh, quite a few years ago, just from this, like I said, a busy time of year for me. And so, you know, I feel like making that trip is more of a commitment because it's like three days instead of two and, and just be four. Yeah. And then it's just like, it's, it's a lot. And, um, you know, for me, you know, we can fly in. I have to miss like two days of school versus like, you know, three days. And I don't yeah. know. Um, it stinks that Chris isn't living in Philly anymore. That was really nice to have just stay with a him. free place to stay and stuff. But, yeah. You know, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, I, I do dig the, the craft beer sort of component and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And hopefully maybe we can get uh, the you know company that we, we know pretty well from where I teach uh, maybe involved next year on a bigger level. That that could be kind of a cool added layer yeah. know, on some level. So. But yeah, it was a uh, it was fun. So you know, maybe next year we'll we'll do a live feed if we figure out some technological like logistics of how to do that in a way that we could like, always cool, just but... do a Facebook live video. Yeah, yeah, I could do some of that kind of stuff. It's just like I said, then you gotta set up like a camera and then like I'm yeah. now now I'm messing with the camera. I'm not messing with. I'm well, not, the thing like, is like if, watch obituary. If you're making thousands of dollars doing this a month, yeah. that'd be something I'd consider. But at this point, it's more of an ex- excuse to get together and make a talk about stuff that we don't get to talk to anybody else about you know make a little bit of extra cash that we you know buy records with or something or put toward infrastructure so um before we go to kind of our next song that will kind of transition our our kind of pop culture ramblings as you will 
uh i i put on here to just talk about some of the art projects that you're kind of in, involved in that you're you're kind of in you know willing to talk a little bit about I, there's I not know. a whole lot I, I mean i'm doing um i'm starting to do some mural work but i can't really technically i i signed something that says i can't oh, really? talk about you can't it, talk about it? Oh, okay but I, i'm doing a 12 by 27 foot mural of a bunch of decaying looking but like my typical kind of bullshit that i draw yeah, yeah. there's some alters of madness aspects so yeah too, for for a restaurant so that's yeah. about as far as i can go on that um and then yeah, just you know, logo work for some people, just a bunch of random stuff. The um, are you able to talk about your your top secret project to patron people or no? The book I'm working on, yeah, not yet. I'm okay. not going to talk about. It. That's really in its early stages. It's about a. It's cool. You guys will like it. It's about That's a record. <laughs> it's not going to be like the last three books. It's going to actually be a like a actual book. Mm-hmm. There's going to be. I mean, it's but it's going to be me writing, which is going to be comics, uh, interviews. It's going to have. I have every flyer for every show this band's ever done like stuff it's that type of like really Curated, in-depth really ridiculous well. yeah. thing yeah that's cool and then uh what the hell was the other thing i was gonna mention now i just spaced out oh, i didn't tell you i might have you uh might be it might be van halen logo time for our cross-country shirts we'll we're done for it yeah so we're done we did the aerosmith one last year so that's our classic <laughs> classic sort of stuff but yeah, but anyways, I just I didn't know if you had any uh, art things kind of happening. The I was talking about what made me so busy and crazy. You know, the last think, yeah, because a lot of the stuff that I do. Oh, I did. Um, I remember now. It was um, if anybody likes the band Cable. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Take the stairs to hell is their new record. It's like a, uh, up for pre order right now. I did the gatefold cover Who put for that. that out? Translation loss. Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm stoked to see Hydrahead. Right, their last stuff that I had was Hydrahead. The last one I had was Gutter Queen. Okay, which is quite a while it might be their second record or something yeah. um but that'll be cool i haven't had my stuff on an uh, lp since the carcass tour lp for the surgical steel so yeah. that'll be cool nice yeah good stuff so, and there's some more alters of madness ish stuff on that as well absolutely absolutely well we're gonna go in kind of completely different direction that we'll sort of talk about when we kind of come back on this little patron show but uh we got a nice little treat for some of you maybe some patrons out there aren't as familiar with the, the next song we're gonna play it's a song that connects back to when i first met mark and chris because it was mentioned i believe in like requiem number five or number six i have, one of the have two, no idea which is one of the first two issues i ever came across with the color covers and stuff at yeah. the moon i was like whoa what is this and, you know kind of freaked out because it was mentioning opeth and other yeah. things like that we were the first two guys in mount pleasant that cared about death metal yeah that true. knew about it that's true and uh it's from italy and italy's kind of where our next conversation will, will sort of take place and it's a guy from death ss called paul chain and he uh See if you can figure out who this uh, special guest is. We'll, we'll tell you when you come back. But it's from a record he put out in 95, 96 called Elkahest. And it's a song called Voyage to Hell. Burn away 
That was Voyage to Hell from Paul Chain from Elkhast. And who was our, our lovely guest vocalist on that? Mr. Lee Dorian. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He's a good dude. Do you he remember? Just, he just turned 50. Oh, yeah. He just had a birthday. Yep. Do you remember when you guys interviewed him, how he got hooked up with Paul Chain? Was he just a fan? and kind of? I don't remember. It's been so long since I've looked back at those. Yeah. But that was one of those things where, um, God, I was just like starting to re-get, get back into like Planet of the Apes again because of like... Lee Dorian opened up a lot of stuff like Tombs of the Blind Dead and mm-hmm. stuff that I'd heard about but never really got into. Uh, but that Paul Jane chain record just kind of hit everything for us when it came out. I was like, this is fucking exactly what I wanted. Yeah. And that stuff's cool. If you uh, people out there who are listening haven't really like checked out Death SS and Paul Chain stuff, I've, I've, I've accumulated a few of his solo records in there. It's in, some of it's like psychedelic stuff. Some mm-hmm. of it's really um, 
there's some tunes that are like 12, 15 minute long. It almost like sounds like, like monster magnet, doomier monster magnet meets, um, what was Lemmy's first band? Hawkwind. Yeah. It's got some yeah. Hawkwind quality. There's, there's a lot of weird stuff. That song is more like kind of a, you could almost hear it on a cathedral record almost, yeah. you know, yeah. and stuff, but, uh, cool stuff indeed. And so the reason I went to Italy was because, um, you know, what one of the ideas we had when we were like, well, what should we talk about patron stuff? And I just said, well, it's funny. I haven't really had a lot of time to listen to a lot of music because I've been teaching this history of cinema class. And so every free moment I've had, I've been just kind of like absorb, reabsorbing or absorbing myself back into like movies and, you know, documentaries, watching and like Turner classic movies and shit like that. Yeah. And like I have a bunch of like stuff on my DVR, like old Orson Welles movies I've never seen and, and stuff like that. And so for whatever reason, like a couple weeks ago, I just went on like a huge, like, I don't know, Audrey Hepburn kick. I watched Charade with Cary Grant. Well, Davos is in the back. You might get a little bit of that. Davos, yeah. we'll get to the Game of Thrones conversation <laughs> a little later, I promise. Um, but yeah, you have, uh, you know, Charade, which is cool, like almost like a James Bondy, Hitchcock, North by Northwest mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, Did you watch, what was the, is that, Don't Look Now, is that the one where she's blind in the apartment? No, Don't Look Now is the uh, Nicholas Rogue horror film from the 70s. That's the one with uh, Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie. It's uh, Wait Until Dark, I think. Okay. Yeah, I actually I like that one that. a lot. I yeah. uh, haven't watched that, but it's on, it's at home right okay. now. Okay, I remember seeing that. They used to be on TV when I was a kid. Yeah. It's, Don't Look Now is the weird midget kid thing, right? That one's fantastic. It's awesome. <laughs> I love that movie. That's where they're in Venice, it's, speaking of Italy. Yeah. That's where the it's super, they lost the child in the beginning, and then yeah. like there's... Yeah. It's just fucked up, but it's super like artfully shot. Oh yeah, Nicholas Rogue's great. But then has a weird just like twist at the, where you're like, Jesus Christ, what the freaks fuck? you out? Yeah, it almost reminds me of the twist in Phenomena, uh, the Argento movie with uh, Jennifer Connelly, where she yeah. can control the insects and stuff. Yeah, where you find out at the very end, it's right when Flash of the Blade from Iron Maiden kicks in on the soundtrack, and they discover this like mutant, like chud child that's like trapped in this well with like viscera floating on top of the water it's some nasty i've only seen that movie once nasty shit luke a friend of ours that lives in taiwan he and i will sometimes just watch the ending of that movie just to freak people out like who have (laughs) never seen it it's it's fucked up the movie itself is kind of a hot mess but donald Mm -hmm. pleasance is in it so i mean you can't go wrong yeah it's got some good overacting in it yeah for sure um yeah but um anyways yeah so i got on a, a big kind of audrey hepburn kick uh breakfast at tiffany's which is an interesting movie um i don't know if you've ever it's seen a george papardin it doesn't it? it does yeah um the thing that i forget about when i watch breakfast at tiffany's is uh mickey rooney plays like a chinese dude and it's it's the worst oh how roll yeah, like that oh, kind of like it's real really it's, it's <laughs> not it's, like, it's uncomfortable does he have big glasses on too yes and okay. like fake teeth and shit and he's oh, like jesus he's like the landlord of the apartment that they're living in and stuff but i did not remember that i saw that years ago it's, but it, it, it's got some moments it's it's kind of like a cool who directed that that was um blake edwards i believe okay who did the pink panther movies okay yeah. and who did one of our favorite comedies of all time the party the party that's yeah, fantastic yeah. Birdie speaking, num-num. speaking of <laughs> yeah. uh yeah non-pc yeah, well, you know <laughs> peter sellers can he can do voices you know like you look at dr strange love oh good work. golly yeah it's yeah. there's some uh that that one i feel like is done in like uh semi-respectful maybe i don't know it's got him playing sitar. At least it's like trying to show like the culture. But it's, but it's, it's so it's cliche. Rough. It's like having a black guy eating watermelon it's rough. on his yeah, front porch playing a banjo. I feel bad that I like that movie. 
but I still do. But I it's, know. I don't know. It, the, the, it wasn't. Time. Everybody in the movie's an idiot. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't so know. he's like a buffoon, but he's not, he doesn't, he has, he's completely like not malicious. Yeah. He's like a sweet guy. I mean, I guess. <laughs> so at least like, you got that. It'd be like saying on, you but... were offended by like Austin Powers, like making fun of British people or something. It's like, well, yeah, they're, they're all bumbling idiots. Like that's the point. It's a there's got and there's a certain point where you've got to like evaluate okay what's worth getting upset about sure i know the mickey rooney thing is way worse than the party. but that's I'll that's definitely that. uh you know of its time oh yeah, yeah thing but that's not something that would probably depends because i'll defend tropic thunder yeah but tropic thunder was making fun of that trope yes right it's like yeah. meta you know i've even heard interviews with jamie fox where he thought that was fucking hilarious yeah, it's Exactly. It was done for a certain reason. It wasn't done to exploit. It's, it's making fun of like the 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 you know method acting and yes. all that all that other stuff. You know, like and I don't know. Making fun like, of Brando and like Sean Penn trying to do like a handicapped person. I am Sam. And, yeah, you know, like it's it's just mocking some of the the egos of Hollywood and on yeah. some level, you know. Uh, whereas I think this thing in Breakfast at Tiffany's is just the like I said, whatever culturally of this time. I mean, the guy that played like Charlie Chan on the old TV show was a white guy. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, David Carradine and of... Kung Fu was a white guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who um, wish he wasn't, but he was. Yeah, but uh, I, I dig it. You know, but the movie that kind of stood out uh, that I love because I've studied in Italy and stuff like that is Roman Holiday with Gregory Peck, and it's. I saw that in a film class, I think. Did you? Yeah, yeah. it's cool. It's, it's, yeah. it's just great. It's just a good romance movie. It's I think I went on a Gregory Peck kick. Did you? Where I was watching what, what the hell? It's the Moby Dick. I like the yeah, version of Moby Dick. He does quite a bit. Obviously, you um, got, The uh, Omen is one of my favorites yeah, with him. Yeah, you got uh, Cape Fear. Yeah, you know, the original Cape Fear is fantastic. Yeah, with Robert. Actually, Lee. both of them are great. Yeah, I like them both. Scorsese's. I've got them both, yeah. So, but yeah, but so I've been teaching, so I just thought it'd be fun to play something from Italy. We don't yeah. play a lot of Italian metal, you know. Uh, True. And so, yeah, so I, that kind of was like my entryway. But, you know, Mark and I, uh, we talk movies a lot when we're off mic, uh, when we're recording, you know, the music stuff. We'll often spend like an hour just talking about movie stuff. And we've sort of joked about doing like, like a, the stack I've got on top of my Blu-ray player right now of yeah. stuff to watch. It's like, no, but like everybody would be like, you're not going to watch that crap. It's just like a bunch of foreign films. And it's all foreign like films. Yeah, and then. I know. Like uh, Jordiowski, you know El, Tal- El Topo. Yeah, you got Kurosawa, which I I gave ran. You, I yeah. gave you uh, Last Emperor. Chimes ran, at midnight. And, um, yeah, because like I, Orson I, Welles is the that's the entry point where I can watch any Orson Welles movie like over and over and over again. I uh, I just from a craft standpoint and from um, how was that great? Speaking Love. of non PC portrayals, yeah. yeah although. The way it's done, he does it, a pretty. It's not like a black facey kind of thing. It's, it's okay. weird. It's like the the it's shot in black and white in a way where it, the lens, like the shadows, are just sort of like darkened on him a bit. But okay. they're not like I feel like they're not. It's not like jazz singer or some shit like no, that. No, 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 no. He's not Al Jolson. Uh, yeah, I remember nothing, seeing some like some that. stills of the of that where he's just they basically look like they sooted up his face a little bit. Yeah, he's he's darker. Yeah, that's but it's not like a blackface kind of thing. But in, coming from him too, that that was just like stretching his abilities. Yeah, I think he. You it know, wasn't anything about like there was no racial like there was they couldn't find or, a black yeah. person better. It's like he wanted the challenge of playing that role. Yeah, directing, that's why he writing did it. and, and yeah. adapting, I guess. You yeah, know, um, and stuff. But yeah, so I've been on a big Orson Welles kick as well. Um, F for Fake is one of my favorites documentary about magic. Yet, it's yeah, it's good. I know you've told me about it. Yeah. So I've got uh, I got a couple Wells movies uh, on my DVR right now. The Stranger, which I never had seen. Oh really? You've, okay. You've seen it. Uh, Stranger's great. Yep. Yeah, but 
it's been kind of a fun little journey for me to teach this uh, cinema class and to see it through the eyes of like sort of teenagers because it's it's been kind of like trial by fire in a way like what are they gonna like what are they not gonna like i had one student one girl that like she well, looks like kids are born in the 90s right uh 2000s oh shit this is the post 9-11 generation that i'm teaching now yeah it's it's pretty wild now. so like black and white is probably a weird thing to them like, right like non-digital special effects is a weird thing to them right like organic special effects or something like they're like editing that's not like just razor fast like super quick yeah it's pretty wild editing. so so i kind of was worried with like silent cinema but the thing that they responded the most to was was buster keaton and charlie chaplin they loved okay. that stuff uh one girl told me and she was like a fan of like dumb like adam sandler kind of type comedy she said she's never laughed so hard than during uh the boxing scene in city lights from chaplin which i was really proud of and i was like but that's what sandler's probably tapping into is that the universality of physical comedy that's true that's true but yeah. but 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 not the craft chaplin of does it in such a yeah. you know much a better way with some poetry to it sure I think, you know and stuff but uh but she know. she had like a, a primer yeah there was there was something there <laughs> a least, bad one but or at, a... le at least they could recognize like the precursors a little bit you yeah know? and so you know we did citizen kane um do I kids think it's just overblown what's that citizen kane well, like, do they understand the technical marvel of that movie? Th they do. It's it's funny because one of my best students in the class, who I respect his opinion a lot, he kind of was like, I he goes, man, Citizen Kane's been so hyped for so long, it was almost like too hyped. Like it was, it wasn't like the most mind blowing movie like ever. It it was still pretty straightforward in in some of like the messages and stuff, and they understood like the wealth messages and the American sure. dream and and the but the loneliness the narrative that, of it for the time was like sure. groundbreaking and they and i think i think it's that sort of i think when you watch citizen k maybe the first time you you're processing all of the technicality and you're you're intellectualizing it but i feel like it's not until you see it a couple times that you enjoy it yeah does that make yeah. sense because so i think they understood all the puzzle pieces it comes with the baggage of the greatest film ever made so like why the first time i watched it i was just concerned with the plot mm-hmm and, and dr j gave us a lecture and i yeah. was like writing everything because I'd, I'd seen it before but i didn't i was just kind of like eh. and then i remember taking that class yeah and then also watching that american masters oh okay version of there's like it's i think it's on the the on citizen the, king yeah, yeah it is it's like yep. a two and a half yeah, hour it's fantastic mm -hmm. they're showing robert wise was the editor on that not the, i can't think of who the cinematographer was greg tolan okay but yeah. uh yeah but just yeah, like digging those pits to run yeah. everything low and up for, for a reason. For and, ceilings, all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, just nuts. The, the like the, when you see, when you enjoy it, and then you hear what went into it, yeah, it's even crazier. No, so I I think a lot of kids did enjoy it. They did do like analysis write-ups on it. We actually started the whole class off with, um, I, I started with a modern movie just to sort of teach um, just some film language stuff. And so we did Mad Max Fury Road mm -hmm. and all the kids really enjoyed that. And then when I they hadn't seen it before, a few had, but okay. a few had, they didn't really think of it as like something that was important. Maybe it was just like an action movie to them. You know? Yeah. And then when I, once I started to get into like the sort of feminist messages, they really responded to that because I think, you know, they've never really thought of like film criticism before in the context of like these different lenses to sort like view mm -hmm. movies and stuff. Like I'm sure they know point of like, views and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure they know when they see like Captain Marvel that like there's like a underlying girl power message kind of but built it's, into. It's kind of beating you over the head too. It is. <laughs> Although you know one of the things that's interesting about that movie, not to go on like a Marvel rant, but like I've had kids. 
I've had a lot of male students like come in and they're obviously really big on Endgame and stuff, which is cool. And I, I talked to they, they begged me in my film class, like, can we talk about Avengers at a certain point? Like, we really want to hear your film person take on it. So I waited a few weeks to like yeah. allow for everybody to see it. And they all guaranteed me they had seen it. And so I gave him a couple of little tidbits. I said, I think, you know, one thing that's really interesting to think about with like Endgame, I'll come back to my Captain Marvel rant for a second, but you know, is that, you know, the, the most selfish hero becomes selfless and the most selfless hero becomes selfish. And I think that's like a cool, like way for those two main characters to kind of like move in those directions and, yeah. and stuff like that. And they were like, Oh, you could tell they were like, Whoa, like, like really, but still like, in, in the scheme of things, end game is kind of like a soap opera compared to like what you guys are talking about. For you know? sure. Yeah. Yeah. But they still, they're, but if they can get a little bit of like yeah, insight that way, maybe they'll sure. start watching movies a little more critically. For too. sure. And then one of the things I told them, cause they were kind of bitching about like, they were like, ah, I don't know what the hype is on like Captain Marvel. And I don't think I, and I told them, I was like, I go, I don't think Captain Marvel was made for me. And I don't think it was made for you guys as boys. I think that I, I don't want to take anything away from like how like a young female might sort of view that movie. But one thing I think is interesting about Captain Marvel is that's an inverse story of any other superhero origin. Because at the start of that movie, she's actually the most powerful person. She Yeah. She, and she's being controlled by men. Well, it's a, it's a metaphor for repression. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And what she's got to rediscover is how powerful she is. So the, the the inverse of the origin story is like somebody that isn't powerful becoming powerful. And she's starting that movie off as like... So I thought that was kind of a cool yeah. flip. I still, I still haven't seen it. It's it's fine. You know, but, like it's but also the thing, offensive. my thing that, that bothers me the most is that a multinational corporation like Disney mm. is trying to tell me that if I don't get a movie... It's because I'm racist, like Black Panther, or I don't understand it because it's not for me. Yeah, because I'm a man. But I can watch any kind of movie, and if it's good, yeah, I don't care what oh, it's for about. Sure. For Have sure. you ever seen Florida Project? Yeah, that's fucking fantastic. Yeah. That's not something that would like, like screams, "Hey, Mark, watch me!" Mm-hmm. But that was a fucking great movie. Yep. Um, so yeah. that's I. I just hate these like big companies that say this is important. You've yeah, got to watch I it. Get that that bothers me a lot. It's and these tough. are fucking stupid superhero movies. Yeah. Right like on. if they're pre- like I think the first superhero movie that out of this new batch that I thought was just great that felt not it wasn't great, but it felt like what I wanted out of comics on a, on the big screen was the first part of what, what the hell is the Infinity, Infinity War. War. Yeah. Like this feels like a big like this feels great. This is what I want to see is all the characters that I know, mm-hmm. everybody like I don't want to just see Teaming one up and stuff Yeah, like one that. guy in a yeah. movie. It's like yeah. we we're past that. We don't need to keep doing these kind of like reboot sure. things and yeah. And there's whatever, different lenses but... I think to look through those movies because I think you know you, we, I've I've talked about this with like friends and stuff like that as well who are like way into all the Marvel movies and like you know like Thor Ragnarok as like a genre exercise is really awesome. That's you know, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's great. It's great. There's know? a sense of humor to it. Yeah, and it's, they took it's a got character a that too. that had two not very good movies. Yeah, oh, for sure. The first two are fucking boring. Yeah, and then they like we need to take this character who's boring and pair him like, well, the irony, the irony of that is that the thing that told them that they could do that with Chris Hemsworth was a movie that pissed off like a lot of like males in their basement, uh, which was the Ghostbusters reboot because he plays the secretary. He oh, plays the female he's, role. He plays the sex symbol. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. funny as shit in the movie. And yeah. The, and the, he's got great comic. And comedy. they were like, whoa, Chris Hemsworth can do comedy. And that's what kind of informed them that they could do kind of something funny with it. But yeah, uh, but yeah, like, you know, Black Panther and stuff like that. Like, I talk about it from a historical angle because I love that that movie, 
again, it's like Captain Marvel. Like I can, I can be critical of it, but I also, there's like a, there's a level that I will probably never be able to see. I, I love Captain or Black Panther. It's one of my favorite of the Marvel movies, but there's probably something I'm missing too, because I've never grown up without representation without models. Yeah. As a, as a child. So yeah. people like dressing up in, in African garb and really making that an event. That's cool. I'm glad that like that's that cool. experience is a, a, available to them and stuff like that. It just bothers know? me that, the people that profit from that is this huge company. I know, I know, but it's, <laughs> it, it's like, I know it. I try not to think about it because yeah. it's like everybody's hands is in everybody's, you know, there's, there's so much, it, it's almost impossible to like get away from that. Like, I don't even know what independent films are anymore. You know, like Mandy. Yeah. Shit like that. Like yeah. there's Mandy's not great by the way. I, love I, I know you were, we ever talk like, about it. Not on here. We, you and I have talked about it before. Okay. My, my only problem is the first half is too long. Okay. I wanted like, and you, I could just watch it because of the cinematography. Sure. Like the, the color scheme. I just think stuff, I, the reason I get mad at movies is because they're already good, but I think they could have been better if they did something else. Okay. So I think if they would have just like, you understand the relationship between him and his, and Mandy. Yeah. Within five minutes. Mm-hmm. If you cut that first act down by 20 minutes, I would the, have the liked whole revenge stories is pretty bad. It's great. Like yeah. all the psychedelic fucking, you know, bad acid biker thing. That's an interesting, crazy idea. Yeah. And just keep going with that. Like that shit gets good. I wish there was like a couple more like electric wizard songs that just like show. Cause like really like that's like, I felt like I wanted to be on drugs while I was watching that movie and have like electric wizard going because it was just, I, I had a couple drinks, Yeah, but I was still the first half. I was just like, Oh my God, come on. Yeah, I can see that. When we watch movies now, me and my wife, we look at the time and I was like, <laughs> hour and 37? Fucking right on. That sounds great. And I've had to get like over that hump, especially like going back and trying to challenge myself with watching some of these like kind of older films because I've been watching a lot of foreign stuff. Uh, I'll if it's foreign stuff, it doesn't bother me. Really? No. But, well, Muriel doesn't want to watch most of that. You're probably watching that stuff on your own most of the yeah, time. Yeah, right? she doesn't yeah. care about watch, usually watching black and white movies or old movies unless it's something where I'll. Like, no, just, you should just try this. Like anytime I yeah, really figure something out, she's like, oh, that was really good. It's weird because, you know, I have like a mixed feeling about like the, the time of movies. Like I also understand like the, the economy of film and editing and stuff like that. But then there's also like this part, like we watched the Godfather in my film class and the kids loved it, but we watched over the course of two and a half days too. Right. And yeah. so I, I wonder like. Mm. Well, some things merit that kind of length. Sure. Not everything mer- merits that kind of I length. Agree. I don't think a, a superhero movie origin story merits two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. I guess it depends on how they're telling the story. You know, Usually it's, it's I, you could tell it way quicker. Yeah. Like economy and show don't tell is the number one thing. Yeah. And a lot of these are just telling us a bunch of exposition that I don't care about. Which is because they have to get to the next thing. That's bad writing is what it is. You know? Because, well, also because they're trying, it's it's the reason like Whedon left the Avengers thing is because mm-hmm. they made him like insert like 7 million different things into Ultron and he was like, ah. And it, it, it kind it's of hamstringed. Him. Yeah, it yeah. broke him a bit and he kind of walked away. You know, good for Kevin Feige that he seems to like be okay with doing it and he's pulled it off. Pretty marvelous, marvelously it's, than more anyone would have expected it yeah, to be pulled off. But yeah. you can also, with just the passing knowledge of a lot of the stuff, you can watch the last two Avengers movies and it's fine. Yeah, they kind of stand. Like they can stand alone. I don't bit, think you so. get a ton of extra. You could just watch all the Avengers movies. Yeah, and you'd be fine. You don't really need to like out of the new batch of stuff. Like the Spider-Man movies, I think are really good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I like the Ant Man movies a lot mm-hmm. because they're not about huge fucking things. Yeah, they're cool heist movies and stuff. And there's like that. this weird like inner space kind of yeah. you know thing going on. Michael Douglas is always entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't feel like I need to watch every single one to understand. Yeah, like if everything is based on because that's the problem with comics in the nineties. Everything is crossover. Everything's a crossover. Everything's based on this and this. Like sometimes just good stuff is just, it's a one and done story like black mirror. Yeah. (laughs) No, which they just put up the, the next season. Did they? God, it's only three, it's three episodes. They're each like an hour and nine minutes. I got to like catch up on that shit, but that's the kind of stuff that really I get more geeked about. Yeah. Now it's just like short stuff, old stuff. I can't think of a movie that I was like surprised by lately. Like, oh, this is great. I'm curious. I know you, I don't think you've watched it yet, but I'm curious because I'd like to talk about it. Uh, maybe not on mic, but just like the, I saw it a second time because now it's on Prime. Is mm-hmm. um, what your thoughts are on the remake of Suspiria when you, when you, oh, I've, yeah, I haven't it. seen it yet because it, because the first time I saw it, it, it seems it's on long. Prime right now. Yeah, it's on Prime. Okay. It, it, it seems long and there seems to be some extemporaneous kind of plots that could maybe be cut. And then I listened to a podcast on it and, it totally changed the way I think about it. And I don't want to say anything because okay. I'm spoiled, but but it, it it made some of the extemporaneous things like suddenly seem a little bit more like vibrant to me. And I, and I was I appreciate the aesthetic nature of the movie. And there's probably some parts that could have been cut down a little bit, but mm-hmm. there's kind of a wacko ness to it, kind of like Mandy, where you're like, yeah, they kind of went for broke on a couple parts, and you're like, you know what? I appreciate that. Like they're fucking swinging for the fences. Yeah, they're not trying to appease a mainstream audience. They're definitely like fucking with you you know? yeah so but yeah anyways like we watch godfather and, and some other things and, and lately the the stuff that we've we've watched recently um they were really kind of into we watched the departed they mm-hmm. dug that they uh they really dug rushmore you know for i kind of taught them some you know how wes anderson kind of uses like um we show we watched days and confused for the seniors there last week yeah you know? and i and they were kind of into it a lot of them had never seen it but um one of the things I was using like Tarantino and, and Rushmore and Days of Confused was the sort of art of integrating like soundtracks and like the seamless like quality of how like songs can like kind of start to tell like character stories too, as yeah. well as the actual characters. And that's, there's an art form to that because mm-hmm. it can be really like passe and done completely like wrong. Well, wasn't the know? first one, the movie that kind of did that was, uh, was Lucas's uh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it, it kind of fits with the nostalgia of the times. And I think, you know, it's funny when you, you know, Richard Linklater did Days of Confused, spent more money on the soundtrack than he did on the entire movie. How about licensing yeah. for all that shit? Yeah, because everyone was an unpaid, you know, like new actor, you know, yeah. Connie and all those kind of guys and stuff. And, um, and I kind of told them that what's sort of interesting about like a Linklater movie that I haven't appreciated until I got a little bit older is his movies are like movies about almost nothing. In a sense, they're like, um, you're just kind of with characters as they like exist and as they're having conversations. And yeah. so, and that, that works for some people and I, I get why it probably wouldn't work for some people as well. And I'm not saying some of his stuff is fine. Some of it I just, I find terrible. Yeah. Some, some of it doesn't always pull off, you know, but it's like, kind of like to a lesser degree, the, um, the Duplass brothers. Yeah. I like a lot of their stuff. There's like, it's just, yeah, they're a little like mumblecore. More, they're a little, the mumblecore stuff's a little sometimes like, but there's this later almost almost sometimes has maybe it's the vibrancy of the soundtracks that like can like pull maybe you through some scenes sometimes. but the, i mean they put it they have a huge output but once in a while they've got they did this one with uh mark duplass and elizabeth moss from you know peggy from, yeah yeah and the from mad men and, and from Handmaid's uh, uh Tale. Yeah. uh about doppelgangers i don't know okay. if you've ever seen that no i didn't it's like an hour and 28 minutes or something it's i think it's on prime 
Okay. But it's almost, I think it's almost better than us for a doppelganger movie. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I like us Because a it's lot. just, it's like two, I really like where it's two people stuck in an environment too. Okay. And that's basically kind of what this whole thing is. Yeah. I'm a pretty big, I don't know. I got to see us again. I saw it once and I, re- I thought a lot about that movie. Um, I'm really big on. I haven't seen his Twilight Zone stuff, but I. I, I, I saw I, the first. Um, the first one you can watch on YouTube. It has the dude that did. Um, the big sick. You know that oh, actor. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, from Kamal uh, Nanjini. Yeah, he's from. Uh, he did an X Files podcast. That I listened Silicon to. Valley. I think yeah. he was from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was good. It was like basically it was a read. Uh, Just reading read. of the comedian. Yep. Episode. Okay. They're kind of too long. Are they? I think. I think the Twilight Zone was probably the worst when it was did their hour long episodes, and these are an hour. They're probably trying to like forty eight minutes Mirror thing. Yeah, I think they could be done better, uh, yeah. quicker. More well, no, I'm saying Black Mirror does it right, but they're probably maybe. That's well, this their... season they just do three long episodes. Okay, and they're good, but I would probably never watch them again. Hmm. But yeah. some of the other, like the last season of Black Mirror, I would watch multiple episodes over and over again. Sure. Now what? But it's probably of, a taste thing too. Yeah, for oh, I agree. I like succinct stuff that's really good. Yeah, <laughs> like cuts all the fat out. No, just from a from a musical standpoint, since you know we do talk about music on this podcast from time to time. Yeah, I was kind of talking about like the how Tarantino and Linklater and some of those guys kind of use like soundtracks and things like that. Do you have like soundtracks for you that like have that you think of when you think of like the best like integration of either scores in film or like actual like outside soundtracks in film just out of like mild perverseness because like for me it's like days confused and you know i think i'll eternally always think of like my emotions attached to like songs from pulp fiction the first time i saw that and be like whoa i can't hear jungle boogie ever again and not see tarantino is one of those guys that he he came up with like when he started doing it it made a lot of sense mm-hmm. to me because I never knew what most of the stuff was he was playing. Yeah, exactly. It was pretty or, or even like yeah. uh, like Ghost World or something like that. Yeah. That was a really great you know integrated soundtrack. But um, I can't. Th- there's not a ton of those that I really enjoy outside. But horror soundtracks are always yeah. like. There's a few like The Omen is one of the best. I mm-hmm. think Hitchcock. Any like just Bernard Herrmann stuff is great. Vertigo, Psycho. Yeah, yeah. all that shit is just fucking. Which spot my kids on. love the shit out of Hitchcock. I was really happy about. that. I think they're he's one of the easiest to get into. Yeah, and well, he's he's like just really across the board great. Sure. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, a film podcast, and somebody made mention. They said there aren't too many movies coming out today that are Hitchcockian, and you'd think that he would be like. There's thrillers and there's horror movies, but like none that like use like his styles and his like sense of tensions and things. It's, no, it's pretty rare. Yeah, and it's odd to me because he could, you know, like just ask Brian De Palma. He you could easily like replicate Hitchcock's style and be pretty successful with it, um, and not be a ripoff. Yeah, but but nobody seems to do it. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe it's like he's like. Uh, I, don't know. I think we're it's we're like, also in a weird like Beatles cover songs like people just like eh, just yeah we're in a weird era though too where we're like every movie has to be two hundred fifty million dollars and yeah, have true. like a huge there is CG no more budget. Independent, independent film is Netflix now yeah like it just is like, or I, like uh, I was watching an interview with Tarantino about the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie that's coming out yeah in yeah July or something I think yep. mm-hmm. he said this is probably the last time he could ever do a movie at that scale without using CG. Like he he did everything redressed. Okay. Like all shot on film. Uh, I'm sure he's probably digitally editing mm-hmm. the film. But he's but claimed that this is his last movie. He has one more. 
He oh, said he he's either going to do one more or if he turns 61st, he's done. Wow. It's like That seems kind of arbitrary. Yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. But he's one of those guys that yeah, I think he keeps getting better mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, which a lot of people kind of hit a, you know, hit a point and they're like, eh. Scorsese's one of those guys that keeps getting better too. Yeah, or at least he's consistently awesome and he keeps pushing himself in different yep. weird directions yeah. which a guy in his 70s like yeah. that's I, I can only hope yeah. clint eastwood was going great and then kind of yeah kind of fell off after like grand torino yeah so um but i still want to see the uh what the fuck the mule the mule yeah i gotta see that yeah, i haven't seen it yet so i'm a sucker for that dude man i'd love to see him in a one more revenge movie when he's yeah. 80 <laughs> yeah you know uh speaking of like kind of uh the Speaking of Clint Eastwood, got me thinking about like kind of Oscar bait type stuff. Yeah, and um, you know, I uh, I I saw three, uh, one uh, a while back, but I'm actually rewatching it in one of my classes right now. Um, I probably shouldn't be showing it, but it's Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And then I I finally saw Green Book. Um, Topher Grace is fucking great in Black Klansman. Yeah, David for Duke. sure, for sure. <laughs> Um, and then I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, which last time we talked, I hadn't seen it. And I was like, mm, it was fine. I didn't, it didn't really do much for me other than yeah. like him as, as, uh, he's a good, I mean, it's a good performance. Yeah. It's fantastic. But the, it's just the mannerisms like, down and stuff, but Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Remember this? Yeah, hey, look yeah. at this. <laughs> yeah. That's very much how I felt. But you know, Green Book, I, I dug, um, I was kind of, I wanted to, what like, was kinda, all the outrage about that? I wanted before. to hate it a little bit. Well, because you had like, because it was from the white man's perspective. Well, okay, I'll give you my take. I'll give you my okay. hot take on Green Book. Um, well, first of all, the director is Peter Farley, who did like Dumb and Dumber and some of that sort of stuff. Oh, I didn't realize that. Something about well, it's got Mary. Viggo Mortensen, which is fine. Viggo's great, and Marushala, like I love. What's that dude from? Was the guy from Moonlight? Moonlight and True Detective season three. Okay, um, I like that dude a lot. I mean, he's fucking phenomenal. All yeah. right, and he deserves winning the Oscar for that movie and for Moonlight and everything else that he does. Um, it's good. It's really a good movie. You know what it was. And and uh, this is my hot take. It's you kind of take some of the uh, you know white guy black guy kind of teach each other some yeah. social lessons kind of aspect, and then you mix it with planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay, and it works. Now, not in like the comedic way, but yeah. in the idea that the two people really like like it's like a necessary team up, but they don't really like each other. But they respect each other. Near the end, they start to like understand each other, and there's some kind of emotional. There's some cool things. I don't want to see. That seems like it's a a good like. I would like that to be the plot of a story. Yeah, it's a safe Oscar pick. You have good actors. Like okay, this. I mean, it's you know a story as old as time. Mm -hmm. The two people don't get along, but they they begrudgingly respect each other. Like that's. Well done, well I, researched. That yeah, sounds great to me right now. That's based the kind on, of shit. Based I want. on a real guy too, who I didn't know anything about. I was kind of going to ask Mike about him. His name's Don Shirley. Um, yeah, he's kind of considered. Ivar Stravinsky said he wasn't was he doing. Like, it was like the Chitlin Circuit or something that he was. Kinda. He was okay. Playing well, but the Green Book was actually like all the places blacks could you know actually stay safely yep, in the yep, South. Yep, and, absolutely. And Vigo's kind of like a which went to the semi. 60s. Yeah, sixty-seven. They said they yeah. published the Green Book up to. Uh, you know, Vigo's kind of a semi-racist Italian, not like any more racist than anyone else was, but like, you know, a typical kind of... When did this take place? Was in the 40s? No, no, no. This is 62. Yeah, 62. Okay. Yeah, it's before the Kennedy assassination, but uh, yeah, 62. Um, you know, it's good. I guess, I guess having seen that and Black Klansman, you got both and both are kind of like, uh, 
Well, Black Klansman was that that was Spike Lee, wasn't it? Was it? Spike Lee, and which was a surprisingly like succinct plot for him. Yeah, he sometimes can get run away a little bit, but he, sometimes he's on. When Spike Lee, yeah, he, on, that, man, that was he, that was mine. great. You know, like Adam Driver was fantastic like in that. that and... Yeah, no, but I think I think that that was I think Green Book's a little safer, um, and that's probably why I think there was a little bit of outrage. It's like you had this other movie that was made by a black director that was about. Something that, in a way, is more relevant today mm-hmm. with the rise of like white supremacy and neo Nazis yeah. and Trump's America and some of the uh, Charlottesville and all the things that he was tying into that. And I think, I think they really missed an opportunity to like kind of hit, hit a kind of a little bit of a of a of that. If you're waiting and for the Oscars where, to try to like validate things, then that's the and that's, that's the why problem. Spike Lee ultimately just kind of said, "Ah, fuck it, I don't care." Like, yeah, yeah. it sucks, but like, I'll, this movie will speak for itself and yeah. i think it will you yeah. know i mean i think it's rewatchable i'm watching it for a second time and yeah. it holds up really well it's paced really well it's like written well I, all the, the acting is like great in it. Out by it in, a, in the right way yeah they're just like it's a they're like this is hard to stomach i'm like well this like is the, real. the dude's fucking wife and shit is like yeah you got, ooh, you, you got you on this man all the bullshit that they're saying like because they're there's some ignorant kids that walk my hallways and so it's like cool to maybe they can you know kind of become spokespeople or whatever but. yeah so, all right. So, anyways, what we're going to do is uh, take a quick break. Um, I threw something out uh, that was kind of a, a neat connective tissue for kind of soundtrack-esque music. Uh, it's a band that Mark and I saw live called Carpenter Brute. They're from France. With and, Ministry. Yeah, with Ministry. And they have typically mostly done instrumental stuff that sounds very much of the ilk of, like, obviously they took their name from John Carpenter, uh, film scores and things like that, but uh, every so often they have some cool vocals, and this features a guy uh, by the name of Garm, uh, hmm. and it's from their latest record called Leather Teeth, and it's uh, Beware the Beast. So enjoy. Oh 
That was Carpenter Brute with Beware the Beast. So kind of a fun one. They played that live. Uh, obviously, Garm wasn't there. That would have been pretty pretty trippy. But, uh, you know, so for kind of our last kind of pop culture ramblings, we figured we'd, uh, you know, we kind of already were hitting on Black Mirror and Twilight Zone, some other kind of TV kind of stuff there. But uh, there's been some big TV moments, I guess, lately that we've, you some, know, some of the biggest. metalheads are probably into here and there. Um, you know, you got Game of Thrones. I we bet. do. That's a thing. Uh, so uh, go ahead. What are your, some of your thoughts? I'm sure I, everybody's, everybody's pretty, probably seen it by now. I hot takes on it myself. Um, I think I think it's fine. I think the whole season was rushed. I think the last two seasons sure. were rushed. I think I get where everything was going to go. Um, the the brand thing is fine. Yeah. I think if it was a spoiler l- alert, spoiler, spoiler, blah blah blah. <laughs> if yeah, if, if just, yeah, if you're listening at this point, you don't just skip. If ahead you haven't 10 seen minutes. it, then fuck yeah, off. Skip ahead ten. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, like I like like historically, like people, a lot of people don't probably know the stuff that just watch the show and don't read supplementary stuff, but. Mm-hmm. You know, brand the builder and like yeah, all yeah. these like. There's a history of brands doing brands. important things. Yep. yep. But it was like he was kind of his role was kind of like muffled a little bit throughout the season. Sure. Um, Daenerys turned too mad too quick. Yeah. The relationship, like Jon Snow, went from you know raging hard boner to like. I guess it's tough when you're fucking your aunt, though. On some level, I, I guess she's that. like she looked great in the season. She though. did. As somebody that's <laughs> never wanted to fuck their aunt, I guess. But if you didn't, if you already did and you didn't know, know. you'd be conflicted. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. You're never raised. And, man. but you're also in a, uh, like a medieval culture that's not quite so like hung up on certain things like that. But I that. feel like with the Targaryens and the Lannisters, it was cool. But I think in the North, it's kind of frowned upon. But he's half Targaryen. Yeah, but it, he was never raised Targaryen. So yeah, whatever. So there's yeah. Yeah. just the whole, I mean, it was, it was I'm fine. I get it. I get it. Yeah. It was fine. I wasn't like ultimately disappointed. There was like good moments in it. The, yeah. you know, whole Clegane. Bowl thing was, was good. Yep. The um, penultimate episode to the Battle of uh, Winterfell was incredible. It was good. It was very good. The, the character stuff was. I rewatched really um, the lightened version that was on YouTube, oh, got it. where somebody like brightened the whole thing by forty percent, so you could actually see was, exactly you know what's what, going on. It was fine on my TV. On the TV, I watched it the original night. It wasn't, but my TV has like a light adjustment. Like it adjusts to like natural light. It, like, okay. So I think it. Well, we're we're streaming too. I don't know if our stream wasn't great, but there's like you could see artifacting and stuff in sure. it. Sure. And you know, like obviously, you know that when um the, you know when like the Night King and and stuff like that um they always obviously blow in like the. The wind and the yeah. snowstorm and I don't know. It, it was. I like the was, confusion so. of everything. Yeah, the whole old, yeah. uh, like Arya killing him was like. My biggest beefs with that season, that ended too quick without really any anything except for Jorah dying. Yeah. And like a bunch of nameless people you don't really know about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just too quick. With how, with how they built up, the first like four seasons are completely perfect. They're great. Yep. They're character based. They're not plot based. Yep. And then when you start like trying to speed stuff up, it just, it kind of, it hurts it a little bit. Yeah. But I mean... We got. We'll, we'll have the books when those come out, and if they you know, come out. They'll, they'll they'll come out if I he think. lives. I, that's that's the only thing I fearful. I think Winds of Winter will come out like yeah. pretty quickly. He's he's a fat old man, but he's. I think he's diabetic though. That's the only thing that like is he? Me. Yeah, that's that's the only. Yeah, he's know. he goes to the doctor. Yeah, that dude's got it. <laughs> he he signs probably so many insurance things to do. Be executive producers of shit that. Yeah, that dude's he'll be fine. He'll yeah, live to eighty. Keep him alive or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then, think, like the prequel stuff, like I don't really know if I care that much. 
I've read th- some parts of it. Y- yeah, it's tough. But yeah. I mean, enjoy the stuff that's already come out, like the Duncan Egg stuff and mm-hmm. things like that. And the, the his- Targaryen stuff, I think, will, could yeah. be cool. I read you know? the um, Fire and Blood mm-hmm. book that came out, which the funny thing is that seems to like reinforce where she went. The craziness. But it just went too quick. Yeah, I, I guess how I've heard it sort of put before is um, that she... She did crazy things all throughout the seasons, but she was always taking it out on people like we were cheering to like have like massacred like slave owners and shit like that. Yeah. So we kind of just turned a blind eye to it, you know. But even going back and looking at it, like it all made sense. Like she wasn't she didn't do it with like a like just flippantly. Yeah. She did it with a heavy heart. And it started, I think, with less of a heavy heart kind of last season, you know, yeah. with the the Tarleys and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I guess what's interesting from a meta standpoint, and again, I, I, I kind of tend to take like sometimes the film critic standpoint being the teacher in me. But like what's interesting is if, you know, Martin always intended this to be sort of like a kind of commentary on like the fantasy tropes in a way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that's kind of cool is like the, I think you're set up in a way and this is where some people probably didn't appreciate or understand this. I think you're set up on the uh, kind of a false hero journey. Like for, of course, you know, mm-hmm. you're seeing like Frodo like kind of turn into a fucking monster yeah you know and it's a like, breaking bad version yeah of exactly and like i think some people didn't appreciate that that's what you were watching was his like sort of like fuck you to like kind of the the sort of like trope of the hero's arc and stuff yeah it's unfortunate from like a socio-political standpoint that you know da- daenerys was female and stuff like that and i think some people kind of read into that differently i think it just she was a targaryen that meant a lot more than her gender you know what i mean like yeah it, it was just that but I also think that you get like kind of uh, you know the idea that the the two characters that probably did the most to like maybe try and positively affect the realm sort of uh, don't get well. Tyrion gets to be hand at the end, but like at great cost of watching you know the people that he like, yeah. cared about kind of die and, and different things like that. You know, John gets sent off to the wall. I think Cersei was like not used enough this season either. Yeah, yeah. Like she was vicious, and then she just became like. I'm glad she, she's she at the end prop to get Daenerys yeah. to where she needed to get and to get Jamie. And yeah. at the end, it was fine that she like folded and like, yeah. qu- you know, quivered under her own weight of like, that's, I want to see the humanity in her, mm-hmm. but it, all she did most of the season is stand on balconies and look at stuff. I know. I know. So it's like, okay. <laughs> but do you know who had the greatest ending of all? Theon. Yeah. Yeah, he, he had the, the greatest perf- arc out of yeah, everybody. He got the he got the, perf- he got the hero's journey arc. He got the hero's journey. And arc. again, it's an inverse because he's such. He got the arc that I think some people maybe wanted Jamie to have on some level. I mean, Jamie kind of did, and, and he was redemptive, but ultimately, and I can speak from. I, th- I think he's fine. I, I'm yeah. fine with Jamie's arc yeah, for sure. I mean, his one weakness was, of course, yeah, you know, the one thing and going back to her didn't like lessen his no character. I don't think some people were kind of pissed because it like hurt Brienne, but Brienne was she's never i don't know if that down. needed to happen yeah i know i think good. it would almost been better if they would have if it was always unrequited yeah it would have been a little bit more powerful i think yeah because like having her like blubber and stuff was like yeah, no that's come on that's like, not her no yeah. that's not yeah. yeah yeah and like it was the whole thing like one of the best scenes is her writing his yeah you know good. thing in the you know the the knights the heroes the what the hell's the kingsguard journal King's or whatever Ranger. the fuck yep. it is but yeah, I was uh, I watched it a second time through um, with my mom and step stepdad, and I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. It mm-hmm. like felt a little bit more cohesive. I could see some like foreshadowing that I think I had missed the first couple times. The only know? like there's the real clunky thing 
was that was all plot driven was what I think should have happened is that John kills Daenerys and then he self exiles. He doesn't like that. That was just kind of dumb. Yeah. Although ultimately, I like that he goes with the wildlings, which is really who where he. Well, I think he should have done that anyways. Yeah, where but not been told to. Like he's of the north. Like yeah, you know yeah. yeah. But like that whole weird thing. Like, well, what's holding them here? And like, what does Greymore even care if you know? Why didn't he just kill him immediately? Exactly. Like, it seemed like that all the stuff seems strange. a little weird. And it's then a like, lot of character. And then Grey Worm like holds all these people kind of prisoner, and then like then they go off. And, and then Tyrion just go. says like, maybe we should do this, and everybody's like, okay. But the North should also be its own. Yeah. And and then like, why doesn't Yara say like, well, well, the Iron Islands as well? Like, I don't know. It was just it was like, okay, let's just like sweep Sansa the shit out the door. Too. Sansa had a good ending. Yeah, for she her. Did. Like she she, did. she comes out like, and so the people that were like saying that it was like anti-female the fact that Daenerys like whatever like just look at Sansa's plotline Arya comes out in a pretty good way like yeah it wasn't I don't know I have some issues I like mean, you said people like trying to socio-politicize like everything I just think, but this is also like the most probably over analyzed work of fiction except for the bible it didn't help that they had two years to wait it was like you had, you have now this internet culture that is completely different than even 10 years ago. You oh, know, it's in terms insane. Of, I mean, it was bad with Lost, you know, and Lost was always going to like kind of uh, never meet its expectations, you know. But it but, never but they, even had anything there to meet. Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> Outside of its original yeah, idea. Yeah, you know, um, but, but yeah, Game of Thrones had some good source material that it was sort of built upon. I mean, it's hard to say like if those books had existed would maybe the the dnds like have i think those guys wanted i think they had enough and i get it oh yeah yeah they um, were they're moving on to they should have all that other stuff I, why so. the fuck would you go to star wars after this i would want my own creation i don't know well, maybe they don't have it i don't know that's the only thing i can think because like what the f- like the la after the last like handful of like dumpster fire star wars movies like i don't i would not want to do anything in the star wars universe i wouldn't yeah. care you give me I mean, a boatload of money. I don't more care. Down. Uh, I'm I'm way more up on some of the Star Wars stuff than I think you are. But but yeah, I, I mean, I think it, Solo it, was fine, but it was unnecessary. I think Aiden, what's his name? Iron Iron, Iron Reich or something like that. Aaron, Aaron that guy's Reich. great. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great actor. He did a fine job. It's just the boring. I don't care. Yeah, it's a fun. Stuff. It felt like kind of a fun like action adventure story. Yeah, you know, there's just of, there's too many things like big actors they die and it's like yeah, mm-hmm. it's fine. It's like, what the fuck? I think the problem, my biggest problem is that they don't let the directors just do the fucking movies. Yeah. And then Kathleen Kennedy and all these other people have their hands in it. Like, well, I think we should probably twist this to this demographic so we don't hurt anybody's feelings. And like, just let somebody write the fucking thing. Well, and if they things, have a track record, let them go for it. One of the things that I don't know if we, I, I feel like we brought this up on a podcast once, or maybe it was just before we were talking, but there's a, there's a really interesting book. Um, and I don't have the title right in front of me, but I have it at home. And it's, it's talking about the 80s being like the last era of Hollywood films. And what they, and have, do you remember this conversation? Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that now that like globalization sort of exists, that there's sort of an empty shell to all big tent blockbuster movies. And so, to appeal to the most, because they have to, they can't offend China, they can't offend India. They, they mm-hmm. you know, they just, they have to be sort of these mass kind of movies where you can't get like super pop culture specific to like a, a niche. You know, and like the book argues, like you couldn't make a movie like Back to the Future today because it's too specifically like 
root it in kind of like American fifties niche culture that like the Chinese audience wouldn't give a shit about like that or, uh, See, or something I, like that's that. That's a pretty big like leap though, I think because that type of stuff, if I watched something that was good, that pulled me in, it was yeah. about something I didn't understand, which is most fucking foreign movies. Sure. I'm willing to take the ride. I don't think it's necessarily and it makes me true, wanna, though. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that's the way that multi-billion dollar studios see it. And oh, they're sure. not willing to make risky moves anymore. Absolutely. And so that's where you you now have, like, you, know, you were talking about with Tarantino before, where, like, you can't make movies that are, you can't make, like, 40, 50 million movies anymore. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, you, if you do that, you're just making them straight to like Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. Like, yeah, you know, that's your that's your independent sort of grounds now. Um, you, it's it's either a blockbuster or kind of bust, or you know maybe like a kind of comedy. You know, the, the, or like the like the one off. Like we went to see that. Uh, did you ever see I Tanya? Yeah, I love it. That great. was great. We went to yeah. see that. There's an independent theater down in Detroit that has like a, you know, one screen. Yeah, I think I Tanya. House. There's like those Lady types of Bird, movies, three billboards, those kind of movies. But man, are they're a like little bit. There's not rare. many. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty rare. I just think like when we were younger, I think there were more of those mid movies. There were a lot more middle movies. Oh yeah, like tons where you yeah. could just you know like they were even like adult dramas. What the fuck happened to that? Yeah, well they're they're on CBS and old people are watching them. <laughs> they don't okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's that's what's going on. Like my mom watches them. Like Madame yeah. Secretary. Like you know that kind of stuff like okay that's I think, so tv's taking the place of I a lot so. of this stuff i think so because you know. the spectacle stuff is just getting old like i, I miss like old-fashioned film that's why when the next tarantino movie i want to see in the theater i didn't yeah. see hateful eight on 70 millimeter which i wish i would have that's the only tarantino movie besides reservoir dogs i haven't seen in the theater it was hateful eight and i don't know okay. why i don't know why i, I just, didn't see it i just whatever was happening i yeah. didn't didn't so see it we'll, we'll but we'll i make... saw it on um my wife was on a work trip and I just I had a got a couple beers and just watched it with yeah. lights off. And yeah. I was just great. transfixed the whole yeah. fucking time. It's just like a really it's great, great like kind of one act. Well, not one act play, but you know, just kind of. It's set up like a stage play for sure. Yeah. But it's yeah. just like it's beautifully yeah. shot. It's like a bottle episode, but just yeah. three hours long. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, for sure, we'll go see that Tarantino movie. I'll be back from uh, China and Japan, which I'm heading to in a couple weeks. So, um, yeah, but so yeah, so it was kind of uh kind of interesting. I guess anything else on TV, um. I have not checked out Chernobyl, but I've heard it's very metal. It's good. I've heard we watched pretty, the first uh, two episodes so far. It's uh, I've heard three and four is like way grim. It's like, got the dude from um, from see. Mad Men, mm-hmm. another yep. Mad Men actor. Um, but actually, the new we watched the first episode of um, season three of Handmaid's Tale, which is fucking great. I'm behind on that, but I because I that's, know Hulu. But um, that's a very it's one of the few TV shows that has no fat in it. Yeah, it's just done really, really well. Yeah, and it's and it's heart wrenching too. It's hard yeah, to watch. and there's social commentary that's yeah. great in it. And Elizabeth Moss, you can watch her like read the phone book or you know pick her nose, and it's yeah. just transfixing. So the last kind of great sort of non kind of crazy drama thing that I saw, like you know, outside of you know, you and I like love Superstore and some of the stuff like that. Yeah, and which took Manor. a great political move. Very great. <laughs> but have, I don't know how have you caught up on Veep? I've never watched a single episode of it. Okay make it your next thing okay it's easily digestible the writing is so top-notch it's the best swearing i've ever heard ever written anywhere (laughs) like it's incredible it's like a work of art in itself Mm -hmm. and julie louise dreyfus is a force of fucking nature you'll is it better than swearing john deadwood or 
it's uh, that's like Shakespearean in like a dramatic sense, and it's great. And I love Deadwood. I'm excited for the the Deadwood movie that's coming out. But it's um, out. Yeah, didn't it just come out like I think so. I haven't like haven't seen it June first or something. Yeah, but uh, Veep is like a different nature. It's like uh, it's like the the highest form of like Mister Show. Patton Oswalt, like the the use of sort of language put down comedy together. Like okay. Deadwood, it's used to advance like a dramatic plot almost. Yeah. Veep, it's just like it's like it's like a horror movie. Those are the razors and the blades, and they're just chopping through characters. It's it's fantastic. You know, if you like Silicon Valley, it's in that mm-hmm. vein. But like Mike Judge is like drier. Obviously, he's not like laugh out loud yeah. like kind of stuff. Veep is this visceral, and it's like yeah, I've, I've never seen an episode fast. of it. So really, the first the first season's good. It really picks up. I think they, I think they find their voice like season two and three, and they're like twenty five minute episodes, ten se- ten episodes. Like you can like yeah, just sit in your studio one day, just listening just to the dialogue, you'll be like, holy shit! And yeah. like, there's some characters like you're gonna fall in love with Jonah. He's just the maybe the biggest piece of shit ever, and it kind of takes which actor is that arrest? Uh, he's not even like a. He's like the one you won't know, but like okay. you know him. You know he's not like it's not the dude Gary from... Cole. Like even like Patton Oswalt's on the last season. My my boy Andrew Daly from Review, which is one of my favorite shows like ever. He's on the last. So they get like who's the guy from Arrested Development? The he's great too. But uh, the guy who played Buster. Yeah, yeah, Buster. he's fantastic as well. <laughs> His arc is incredible, as all I can say. And it's like um, it's reminiscent of Arrested Development in that there's not one redeemable redeemable character. Like there. Okay. They're the most unredeemable people. They're awful. Like not one, and that's why people who work in Washington D.C. have said it's the most accurate portrayal of politicians. I, I, I've heard a uh, was listening to a fresher episode with I don't know if it's the creator or somebody Armando, from that. Uh, his name's yeah, yeah. But talking about like the last last season of it or something. It's it, the and there's like there's no nobody ever really had political affiliations. It was just like how you could shitty everybody is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be either party. That's what's so fun about it. He actually just did the guy that created that. He left Veep and did a, a, a cool movie. He did a um, it's really interesting called Death of Stalin. Mm-hmm. It's 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 cool and it's it's got like a Veep vibe to it, but it's kind of like how like all the Russians like panicked when Stalin died and the inner circle had to like figure out like what the fuck to do and yeah, all, it's like bumbling Mel Brooks kind of like idiots like trying to like solve like political problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just it's just kind of chaotic and stuff, but. Uh, and I guess the last thing that we were going to kind of chat about a little is... Oh, watch Barry, too. That's a good show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to. I okay. plan to. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I've heard it's great. I, Henry Winkler, I heard on Fresh Air talking about it, so... Um, yeah, you can't tell that we're fucking bleeding hearts. Yeah, so we're, we're, <laughs> we're, yeah, Who is the guy? And he's not He's not a patron. Uh, but he was pissed about that we... I, you know, I, I probably go more on political rants being the history guy, but Mark certainly has it in his blood as well. Sure. Um, but we were getting like too political talking about like Ted Nugent or whatever. So what I was going to say when we, we do our next episode is my apologies for, for speaking out about, you know, Ted Nugent's, you know, political affiliations, his views towards guns. Let's just call Ted Nugent a piece of shit because he's a fucking sexual predator who like had sex with like 14 with underage girls. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just say he's a fucking piece of shit for that? And it's non-political. But I I still think he's a great guitar player and songwriter strangle strangle. Great. You know, so, and there's, uh, there's no reason to like this type of forum. (laughs) There's no reason for us to censor ourselves. It's who we are. If you don't like 
who we are. That's fine. Like we don't have advertisers. Fuck no. We appreciate people that listen, but give if us a, if we really offend you give that us a much, zero star on iTunes and go fuck yourself. I guess. If you yeah. come, <laughs> if you come, meet us in person, and we could have a civil debate about anything in the world to you. Anything. Anything. Yeah. So I, mean, I will. I respect anybody's opinion, but I will also challenge anybody's opinion. I can't guarantee that for me. I can guarantee okay. maybe for Mark. I, it's there are probably some. If you came to me and said you were like a neo-Nazi, I would. I, I don't think I could do it. I'm just. It's the history. It's completely out of character, though. I know. For me. It's just. It's just. It's, yeah. It's too tough. But I, I think it's also we're on a slippery slope. Not to go off in a big rant. Yeah. No. But we're on a slippery slope as far as freedom of speech is concerned. Yeah, People being deplatformed on YouTube and all this shit. Like, if that's just like setting a precedent. I think we should have neo-nazis on youtube but i don't think they should get they shouldn't have no money i know they shouldn't be able to get funded but i think people can have we should have some kind of free dialogue about everything i I, think nothing should be off the table i agree and there's the there's the. but it's also youtube is a public company they can do whatever the fuck they want but alex jones is an idiot but it's entertainment that's what he's doing i know the danger is if I trusted humans to make decisions for themselves, it's it's good. like that's where we're at now. Is that people? That's out of your them. hands, though. I know. Like you make your own decisions, and then I just want people to fucking listen to each other. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think they're gonna do that. Well, we need to have the internet break. <laughs> yeah, where we have to talk to your neighbor. Yeah, I agree. Like uh, that, my, that, that that I'm not. I've got. I'm surrounded by. Um, I mostly have Muslim neighbors mm-hmm. who are the most pleasant nice people to me ever they bring us food on ramadan we wave blah 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 we have an old curmudgeonly white guy next to us mm-hmm. and he's the one that is the biggest problem yep. his views yep and luckily the so, i don't know what the fuck he had uh glaucoma surgery or something lately he's become less racist he can't see less color. judgmental he's like stephen colbert <laughs> i don't know man he's just he's been like nicer to me He's not Maybe telling he's revalue me. his life a little bit. I hope you know? so, yeah. but yeah, I mean, like, fuck. If I was seventy-seven and that fucking angry and old, I know. Like, what? What's what's the point? Like, just be nice to people. It's easier. Yeah. I don't How much longer do you got in this fucking world? <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. It's it's a tough one. I mean, I I, I could create a more nuanced argument. I think um, if I was kind of prepared, because it's it's a it's a double-edged sword. Because I'm I'm one of the biggest. You know, at least I try to be the biggest like anti-censorship guys that's out there you know in terms of like my views on music and movies and different things like that yeah you know one of the things when hbo aired that vice episode on charlottesville and i show that to my students like you allow these neo-nazis and kkk people to talk and they sound like such fucking idiots you know um that's, that's good because they get to hang themselves with their own words yeah but that's because responsible journalists captured the nuance of why they're idiots. And I think True. what the problem we have is the the sort of the filters that sort of exist on both sides, but especially you, you notice it with a couple of networks more than others, that it's just like, I almost can't trust the filters anymore to allow real, that real dialogue to be out there in a way where neo-nazis will hang themselves on their own idiocy and ignorance and stuff and people will be exposed to that in a way where they are soured by it and they go oh this is all bullshit i need to get away from this yeah it's it's really uh it's it's crazy i was listening to a, a report on um how youtube is the number one 
recruiting tactic for neo-nazis and white supremacists right now and they they use like little like comedic memes and different things to sort of lead them on like a clicking like slippery slope and before you know it you're kind of like in this like maelstrom and and they're obviously targeting like 18 to 25 year old like disgruntled like middle lower middle class males you know and it's working fabulously and it's like fuck you know like how do you mute that message in a way that's appropriate? You know, you know, I mean, hate speech can be hate speech, but like, it's, it's, so, it's, you know, well, I mean, hate it's like such a, is a loaded thing too. I know. Because it's, like people that were just that? like, you know, right wingers or people that, you know, were very like fiscally conservative or whatever, get, you know, like uh, Antifa go after people and fucking, you know, mace people at fucking yeah. shows and stuff. Like the right and the left are both on just really bad I don't agree with either side right now. I don't feel like I, I have a camp, really. Yeah. Um, like, I think MSNBC, if you watch that for 10 minutes, is just as stupid as fucking Fox News. Yeah. I There's no... The news outlet that I watch that I feel is the most, like, reasonable is the CBS News... Or the PBS News Hour. PBS News Hour, yeah. Which is, like, you know, fucking... Dry. 150-year-old people yeah, on there doing absolutely. shit. But they do, like, a nice human interest story. They have like, people come from both sides to talk. filter, though, right? And the proper yeah. filter is something nobody wants to watch. And that's that's where the danger oh, now exists. Is I do. like, You know, I also think, like, I don't know, like, one is a counterbalance to the other, too. I don't know. We could, we could spend endless amounts of time on this. But uh, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. You know, I mean, I don't think Antifa would have shown up if, like, neo-Nazis hadn't shown up first. So it's sort of like a chicken or the egg kind of question, too. Like, I think both sure, are pretty Sure, no but they're no better than... Yeah. I mean, I think their tactics are their their ideals proposed to be better than Nazis, but are they really? I know, as far as like violence wise and stuff like that. So it's and it's like any uh, any militant movement. You know, you look at like the original intentions, like the Black Panthers, versus like Mm -hmm. what happened when like the FBI infiltrated and started putting. And you wonder, like with Antifa, like who are some of these people? Where are they coming from? Are they? Are they plants or purpose? Yeah, who fuck knows? You know yeah, what I mean, it's it's like the kind of stuff we'll never really know. And then you get into like Alex Jones conspiracy theory shit, right? Like, but the thing you know. that bothered me a lot about what YouTube was doing is they want to take down conspiracy theory stuff, which is really entertaining to watch. Could be, yeah, for sure. I not guess. not that like you know black people are subhumans, yeah, but, yeah, but like stupid, just crazy shit, Bigfoot stuff and JFK assassination. Yeah. And I even looked after they did that. I looked up Nazi mega weapons to see if they took that down. The there's a PBS series yeah, yeah, about that. that. Yep. I was just seeing like how crazy they were going to get about like deplatforming everybody that said Nazi, because there's they... like the History Channel. That's all they are is oh, Nazi sure. shows. Yeah, it's that and like alien shit. Yeah. Do you think though there's like some algorithm that they sort of realize of clicking where like that's the begins the slippery slope towards white supremacy? If like I said, they've admitted the white supremacy groups have said their number one recruitment tactic is these youtube videos i have no idea i'm just i don't know I just, yeah maybe they see something in their metadata that we don't see that's like well this clicks to this so we have to like be really careful and how it's we, it's i mean it's oversimplifying humans too i know um yeah the i don't know that's fucking just crazy can we just like not we're, to sound like joe rogan or whatever <laughs> but the internet it's like it's crazy like it's well we're on the it's we're, insanity what's happening right now we're barely we're know? barely containing it's so powerful that we don't even know how to fucking it's, wield it it's changing like our like every habit and every yeah. i think know. it's it's making it like right now we're figuring out that everybody's pissed off we can yell and scream at everybody but if we have civil discourse 
Yeah. We, we need more human contact is, sure. a, is the problem. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, to I try agree. to like, so, so if you, if you just think before you act, I haven't done any kind of like outrage bullshit in years now on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook or any of that stuff. I try to just be like, I'm an artist. Here's what I do. Yeah. Every once in a while, if I get drunk and my uncle said something stupid, I'll make a comment and then he doesn't understand what I'm saying anyway. So it doesn't yeah. show up. <laughs> but I get, I get the history teacher bug in me because it's, it's this sort of like, the, the the question I'm always left with, and this is this is tough, and I, I don't know what the answer is, is the, the sort of idea of like, at what point in societies within democracies where you can see democracies rotting from sort of within, because, you know, you look at like, you know, not to get like hyperbolic, but, you know, you look at the, the steps that sort of happen before you, you get to like a Nazi Germany, and it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a dysfunctional democracy that, that sort of led to like all of that and stuff. And so you've, you've seen in other parts of the world as well. And it's like where, at what point do you, did people stop speaking out and like, you know, like how do you know if you're in the middle of the beginning of something that's bad? You know, like when, yeah. at what point, like my responsibility as a history teacher is I, I should be as like a professor. And I think you probably feel maybe, maybe you felt this way at times as being like an artist that we're sort of at the front lines of trying to open people's eyes sometimes to things that maybe they don't see or don't want to see. Absolutely, Yeah. And so it's like this extra like responsibility. And I feel like because I'm constricted sometimes as a public school teacher, because I teach in like a, you know, Trumpsy sort of like environment uh, you're in a rural area so yeah and macomb county was one of the county a rolling stone wrote a fucking news article about us because we were the county that kind of swayed the whole fucking election which is embarrassing um and so you know like it's it's like i i know my environment so i have to be very very careful with my words but yet if i'm teaching a lesson i'm currently just teaching the holocaust as we speak right now you know, if I'm teaching a lesson on like, you know, Nazi Germany, one of the first fucking questions a kid asks is, why didn't they do more? Why didn't anybody speak out against it? And yet, like, I'm standing there like handcuffed where I can't make illusions that some of the things that he's doing in his administration, maybe not Nazi, but there there's certainly like hints of fascism in, in that. You know, I mean, fascism yeah. doesn't always lead to Nazism. That's a well, Trump, Trump's really, he's uh, super attracted to like authoritarian. Yeah, he's like a populist, like authoritarian kind yeah. of guy. He know? wants he to just suck playing. Putin's dick. He's like, that's what I want to be is like this exactly. guy. People listen to this guy. And it's like, I I can't come out and say that as a, as a professional because I'll get like condemned by like parent groups and the school board and stuff. Sure. So it's like, what the fuck? But what is my job? My job as a history teacher should be as a, like a professor type figure should be like, I'm an expert in my field. Just like if somebody like had questions about art or whatever, yeah. like you, you know, you should be the guy that they turn to as sort of an expert in it and they should want to, you know, it's like scientists with climate change. We should just sure. fucking listen to what they say yeah, and kind of like use that as a playbook to, but now we've discredited those, those professions. We've discredited it so much. And now we're in just a constant state of confusion. And so my, my thing is like, can I sleep at night if I don't say things? And so if I can't say things there, do I use social media as a platform to try and share articles and get people like thinking, and maybe they don't fucking read them and who cares, but that's their, they're out there. Sure. If they want to fucking click on them. That's what social media is for. And I don't start, I try not to start arguments. I, I, I disengage or I have civil conversations when people kind of come at me as best as I can, or I just ignore it. If they're like trolling me, I just, I, I'm not gonna, I don't, no, it doesn't, I don't time it doesn't, accomplish anything but it's a really tough thing for me because it's like how much do i push like i so badly want to like shake the kids and be like wake up like 
I know I'm not allowed to tell you this, well, but I, I need to tell you this. That's kind of something that on. everybody's got to figure out on their own, I unfortunately. But think about like the people, the gateway keepers for us. There were people like the Mike Johnsons of the world or professors you had in college that really kicked in some doors, whether it be for music, for film, for whatever that like, but they, and, they, and, they gently, they opened the door and said, Hey man, true. come yeah, on yeah. in. And I'm not there to like brainwash kids, but I also yeah. want, I, I also, you find the kids that are like, you can see where like you know, they get it. And then like, dude, come here. Yeah. Okay. It's listen tough. to this. Cause I want to pull the racists of the, like that are in my class aside and be yeah. like, like, do you understand, like, this will lead to this? Like, you're, do you, do you find this Holocaust stuff or this, like, whatever, this, you know, assassination of, like, black people and so the civil rights, do you find this, like, engaging or, like, attractive? And most of the time they're like, no, I wouldn't do that. Well, do you realize, like, you're, you're, like, running in those circles right now. Are you aware of, like, where those ideas kind of lead to? I don't, I don't think most teenagers understand any of that know. stuff. Yeah. And so it's tough because I feel like my responsibility as an educator is to educate. And so it's like, it's a double-edged sword, you know? I don't know. If, if, if you're a college professor t- 10 years ago, you might have had a little bit more leeway, but now everything's getting a little too more. Like, I'm sorry, I can't talk about the, ho- I can't listen to Holocaust because I need a safe zone. Like all this kind of, like, it's fucking college, dude. Mm-hmm. This is, there's some hard shit you got to learn. <laughs> and I don't pull punches with that stuff. Trust me. I don't sanitize stuff and, and I probably disturb the shit out of some kids, but I, yeah. I think it's good for him to be in a way of what exists out there. You know, I, I think, I think schooling ideally should take you out of your comfort zone and mm-hmm. show you all these things that you don't understand. Today we were talking about the Holocaust and this will be a good gateway into our kind of final conversation before we, we kind of get out of here and. You know, I was kind of talking about, like, the things I've seen and traveled and stuff. And I just kind of said, I said, you know, like, people always ask me, like, I'm a big fan of horror movies. And I'd be like, you know, and they're like, what's your, what's the scariest movie, you know, out there or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know, because I don't get scared by horror movies anymore. I said, I've been to Auschwitz. I've stared at a fucking oven. I've yeah. stared at chimneys. I said, that's scary. I said, why is Texas Chainsaw Massacre scary after that? Like, it's not. Like, yeah humans are scary what we've done to each other is way scarier than any of this other bullshit oh yeah and um you know you could tell like kids were like kind of pondering that for a second and i think it kind of hit them a little bit and so it's like this element of like you know the kind of movies that sort of get under my skin the the final sort of conversation that we were going to sort of have is the the one director i've really been sort of into lately is is david lynch and and louis bonnell and the sort of surrealist sort of stuff this Mm -hmm. idea of like uh the unpredictability of the dream world and the subconscious and like, you know, like the marriage of the two. Yeah. Like Frank and blue velvet is scary. Yeah. Like, you know, there's something unnerving about like his unpredictability. That's and the, the, the unpredictability is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that world is really interesting to me. And I, you know, uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on like you know, blue velvet, Mulholland drive, uh, twin peaks. Like I was way, way into season three that was on showtime. I, I went down that rabbit hole for quite a bit. And, um, rediscovered fire walk with me that was a movie i'd seen a couple times and and i, I liked it but didn't love it and now mm-hmm. i think i understand it and i don't know when the last time you watched fire walk with me was i saw it in the theater did you so it's been that long no i've done oh, okay. i had on uh I've, I've probably saw it 10 years ago the performance of the the actress that plays laura palmer in that movie um it's hard to watch now like yeah it absolutely is she uh and she's even said i've, I've kind of poked around a little bit and um she's she was never the same after that she, it, she said she lost a piece of her soul she yeah movie. got pushed really hard for that role and i think she pushed herself i think she yeah. wanted to like kind of go above and beyond i think it uh, it's it's 
it's it's hard for me to not watch and also hard for me to watch at the same time like mm-hmm. it's like it's like a car crash you know like yeah. it's so intriguing you know where she goes to and i think lynch pulls out some really interesting performances that i i you know there are nuance that you you start to appreciate you know the older you get and stuff like that um so that's that's been one thing and my kids really responded you know to blue velvet um you know and i just showed them we just finished it today eternal sunshine of a spotless mind and I don't know when the last time you saw that movie was. It was a long time ago. It's five years or something. Okay. And what's interesting is the kids all loved it. And they were like, that was really, you know, the, you know obviously the nonlinear part of it they dug. But then I said, what did you think about the relationships? And they were like, man, they're, and they're young. Mm-hmm. They haven't had a lot of relationships, I can say. And I kind of said, you know, what's cool about that movie and, and cool about like what, what surrealism sometimes represents is there's a truthfulness in it that you sometimes can't get out of like a regular drama or something like that. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think what that movie does so well is it shows like the messiness of like human relationships and the messiness of like of young love. human relationships yeah, too, especially like yeah. really trying to figure it out and realizing that that at a certain point, and I kind of told them I said the falsities of like the Cinderella mythos and the Prince Charming and the like all these like romantic comedies that you guys have been raised on, this doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like it's all like a falsity, and it almost is setting some of you guys up for failure because your expectations of what you think is supposed to happen. Whereas I think Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind is almost like the most accurate portrayal of like a young relationship where like you fucking hate it's them, super intense. you're bored yeah. with them, you love them, you want to fucking get rid of them, but you can't be without them. Like it's all of that emotion. And the fact is, is like some people like either meant to be together or aren't. And, and sometimes it's not so much of like the destiny. It's some, it's sometimes it's the idea of like, can I coexist? Like, can I look past the idea that this, there's going to be so many imperfections. There's going to be days where I don't, we don't yeah, like each other. Yeah. Or we're going to have these. And and at the end, obviously that movie, they, they, you know, figure out that I think they're willing to look past a lot of the, the bullshit and stuff and actually look see it for what it is that, that so i think the whole do. thing is just a, a metaphor for an adult relationship like Absolutely. what love really is and love is looking past love is loving somebody despite their flaws sure yeah it's like you know that's one of the things like with fight club at the end you know when the buildings are blowing up it's sort of a metaphor for him like shedding all the 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 shit that was getting his way and he grabs her hand and they form a heart and Mm -hmm. he's ready to like become an adult and finally have this relationship with this woman he clearly has feelings for but can't fucking function as an adult and you know and it uh, only took me until i was like 38 to figure that shit out i'm 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 still (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm getting there you know uh and i figured out at times i just gotta find the right person i think i'm ready yeah or whatever but anyways i i think that world in particular, um, I started, you know, we had a bunch of snow days with, uh, we had a pretty rough winter um, at, at times. And um, I was renting a bunch of Buenel films and just really going down that, that, you know, I don't know how much you've spent time with him other than like some of the, the standard stuff like Unshan Alu with the Kawai and all that's, that. That's, yeah, stuff. mostly that's so the, the Dolly shit. The, the 60s stuff is really good. 50s and 60s, I, I would get a hold of that, like, um, you know, Belle de Jour is, is really good. Exterminating Angel. Um, well, dude, I've um, been doing some work for. He has the. He was going to give me a password to this Criterion oh, channel. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely so check out some stuff, stuff. Like it's, it's fucking awesome, and it's like Lynch. Like where you're just like, there's parts like you're just kind of like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I don't fucking care. Like uh, yeah, you know, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a really interesting one. There's uh, one where they're trapped in a room all night. They can't escape, and it's like fucking wild no one has any explanation for why that that one's really good too so you know he that kind of led me back into rediscovery of lynch and, and things like that so so anyways that's uh that's some of my pop culture ramblings it's a lot of 
crazy i've i've been in this film world a lot lately and uh i'm hoping this summer this will be a nice opportunity i'm traveling a lot uh and so i'll have a lot of headphone time on airplanes alone and stuff so to digest a lot, of music. Into a lot of the music that i've been accumulating over the last like five six months that i haven't had time to, to yeah sort of, like fully process you know um yeah so that's that's kind of where i'm at so any last uh pop culture ramblings because since we, we no, do this very often we've got quite a few yeah hours yeah. of stuff already yeah indeed so we're gonna make it up for lost time what's that making up for lost time. yeah exactly so uh this is a kind of double-sized bonus patreon episode for you since we missed a couple a couple things but uh we're gonna end with uh something that is is very lynchian and uh i reviewed this this is one of the last reviews i wrote um in the the ending days of e- eclipse um, when Mark and I were, were last doing that. And it was uh, the Sham Mirrors from a band called Arcturus, which were bound and destined, I think, to do a, a podcast on someday, probably with Chris or Jeff Wagner, or maybe both involved. Um, and this is the the ending song uh, called For To End Yet Again. And it has this really cool moment in the middle that's very Angelo Badalamente. Um, it's it's very orchestral and very Lynchian. And, and um, then it sort of comes out, speaking of film scores, with a very Bernard Herrmann psycho sort of like, re, re, you know, that yeah. sort of the, the violin the, the sort of yeah. uh, stuff that, that's pretty cool. So uh, so hopefully you enjoyed this. We'll call this our March, April, or wait, our April, May. Is that what we want this to call this? This will be April, May. Yeah, we'll call this the double size April, May. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, for, for Arcturus, uh, enjoy. I'm Jason. And I'm Mark. Mark.